Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 169. It's Christmas, lads. It's Christmas. So Mero has organized yeah. for presents for everybody. And I'm not talking about dick pics for once. Mero, <laughs> how are you, mate? You're an absolute pig. <laughs> we, we, we said that we said that we we're gonna do a year in review. Um and we were pondering over who to ask. Well, we didn't ponder for long because we said we'd invite back two of our most popular guests. Didn't we, Danny? Well, I said we'd invite back two of our favourite guests. And you said, we'll see about that. And then, <laughs> and then I had to convince you. So, you know. Who are they? Our good friends and probably... Well, I mean, I don't know if they're your friends or not, Mero, because, you know, do you even have friends anymore? I've loads of friends. More friends than you. I don't know, man. I don't know about that. No. But we're joined by the wonderful PT Carroll and Phil O'Connor. Lads, thanks a million for sitting through that weird intro. That was a tremendous <laughs> intro. That was the best <laughs> intro I've heard all year. It was fantastic. <laughs> and the only presence that Mero's got anybody is my presence and PG's presence here this evening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was about to ask you, what did the other two lads, were they busy or what the fuck happened? <laughs> yeah, that's not what so we asked the most popular guests and they told us to fuck off. Well, can we just start by saying what a privilege it is, lads, for PC to be on the same podcast as us? I mean, I think that's brilliant what you're doing for him here, you know? He's a very, very promising young man and I think he'll go very, very far, you know? Well, well I yeah. hope My so. Twitter handle is at PT Carroll. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write for free. I'll write for, we'll write for food. No clickbait. No oh, clickbait. <laughs> what is oh, clickbait, yeah. PT? Um, I don't know. Uh, the, the the whole uh, the whole uh, meaning of these things is getting thrown around a lot these days, so it's hard to know. But Phil, what do you think it is? I I think it's a, it's a combination between fake news and anything with PT Carroll's byline on it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's ba- it. Ba- basically, I define clickbait as where there are more calories in the headline than the story. Right. So <laughs> if if you're forced to read something and then you go, I really didn't fucking enjoy that, and that was a total waste of time. It's kind of like Danny's Twitter account, really. You know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to slide that. You know, it was a bit early for that, wasn't it? We we, we weren't that far into the discussion yet. You know. No, but that's this the kind of thing. Like it's, it's something that sort of forces you to read it and then you read it and you go, that was bollocks. I could you know, I'll never get that time back, you know. Again, a lot like MMAfighting.com and PT's boiler. You know, but <laughs> what I don't like, is, is clickbait getting worse, lads? Jesus, uh, I, I don't know, PT, what you think, but I have an in like a sort of an inbuilt filter now. I don't even see it. You know, it's just I just ignored most of the headlines that I see in this world, you know. And again, no, I mean I'm joking because like PT's breaking fucking tremendous stories in European every in European MMA every week, like you know. So I mean I, I read people that I know and that I trust and like you know, if I do see something on Danny's Twitter account, I go, Yeah, that's worth reading because Danny's got a he's a fucking clever bloke or on yours either Graham, you know. So I mean that's the way I, I just avoid it like the plague. I read as little as possible of that kind of thing. Well I was about yeah. to delete my Twitter account, but I'll press pause on that now. That just, just protect it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like the Trump thing. I think since Trump uh, started attacking the media, everybody kind of thinks there's an expert on the media now. So they're all, uh, it's kind of open season. I think even like when I talk to my colleagues in America, they say that like a lot of people, it, it's it's very quick thing to do now. Uh, the kind of slate the media because uh, they've seen a man rise from, uh, you know, the business world into a political position based on his... Uh, is trolling of the media. 
you know what I love is when you, you like you put your heart and soul into something and you put it out on Twitter and that kind of thing and somebody sends sends like somebody who doesn't agree with you comes back and says that's lazy journalism and that is the point where I'm inviting him outside into the car park. It's just come out here, you and I'll fucking show you what lazy journalism. It just it's just, it's such a lazy fucking thing to say, you know. And I mean, I don't think I've ever done it to anybody else. I have to fucking keep my nose clean here now because, needless to say, Danny will be on my Twitter account doing those advanced searches now, going <laughs> seeing if I accuse somebody of the same thing, you know that. Way. But it is like you know when you think of the amount of work somebody was talking today about. Um, What's that? I wonder what was that on your podcast last? I can't remember exactly now, but you know, about the stories that never come out, you know. Sometimes you work on story after story after story and you just can't get it over the line. You know, does actually that happened to me this week and I can't go into the details of it. But it's just it's a story that's never gonna come out because all of a sudden the timing just changed and I'm hoping they'll get it to do it again maybe in three months or so, you know. But there's fucking two weeks of work going into that and now it's, it's you know. Is that is that because of libelous stuff, Phil? Uh, it depends, Graham. It can often be because somebody else gets there before you. Totally unbeknownst to yourself, somebody's working on a story with a very similar uh, set of uh, people to interview and a very similar premise and that kind of thing. And this story actually came out. It only came out a few hours ago and went, oh, well, that's me fucked. You know, yeah. the last two weeks of work that that happens. It doesn't happen very often. It did happen. Uh, strangely enough, it happened to me with Lance, Lance Armstrong because he interviewed Paul Kimmage, you know, and the lawyers at the place that were supposed to publish it just went, ah, oh, fucking no way. <laughs> you, know, you can't ask that man anything about anything. And he called Lance cancer jesus in the article it was brilliant you know jesus it was just Christ. outstanding uh, but this is around the time of the oprah winfrey interview so lance had come clean so we were we were home free there was no problem the lawyers in the english-speaking publication pulled the plug but they ended up selling for selling for twice the money to a swedish newspaper they didn't give a fuck because lance armstrong doesn't read them you know that way <laughs> you very seldom see him on, on the website of aftonblonnet.se you know so uh, <laughs> So they went ahead and his lawyer wasn't reading it either. But as it turned out, you know, Lance had bigger fucking fish to fry than Phil O'Connor and Paul Gimmage at that point, you know? Yeah. Is this you... I was going to say, Mary, you, you've experienced it yourself in recent times in terms of not being able to get something across the line despite the fact that it's more or less A-OK in the eyes of many, like. Yeah, I was asked, I went on a Twitter rant about uh, Mark Pollock's TED Talk mm-hmm. um, and a national publication got in contact with me to and asked me to write a 500-word article. Uh, sent it to you, PT, didn't I? Yeah, it was very good, yeah. I was very impressed that you managed to count to 500, Meryl. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, um, they have asked for that, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> they got back to me, though, and they said that it was too... Um, too much of a... The lawyers said it was too much of a finger-pointing, libelous exercise... And it was only in response to a TED Talk. So my my kind of line on it was that, well, he's after putting it out publicly, 100,000 people have viewed it. Surely there's a right to reply because I don't agree with him. And he's talking about people with disabilities. So um, give me my opportunity. And I was like, you're, you're, the, you're, guys, you're, you're the guys that asked me to write it. Mm. And they're like, yeah, it's just the lawyers are just not, they're not happy with it. So we'd be like, if you want to try and fish it off to another publication, I'd be happy for you to do so and all this crap. Yeah. Well, you, you have what's called fair comment, right? So if I put something out into a public domain and somebody calls it uh, lazy journalism and 100,000 people have read it, that's fine. I have to live with that. I'm not going suing that person, right? But if I say that, you know, P.T. Carroll stole my car and brought it back with no diesel in it or whatever, like, I have to be able to prove that, you know? So the lawyers can pull the plug on me calling P.T. Carroll a joyriding car thief from Walkinstown unless I can provide that sort of evidence to back up that, you know? But if I just say that P.T. Carroll writes clickbait for MMAfighting.com, that's probably libelous as well, now. I think about it, you know, it's the truth. 
Yeah, but, but you know, people comment on stuff I write all the time, you know, and it's like I stopped reading the comments on a lot of stuff years ago because I'll interact with everybody on Twitter as long as they're reasonably, like, you know, I don't even mind people swearing or having a go at me. That's fine. Like, you know, if they're downright ignorant or just a standard sort of fucking racist lad with the Irish flag and the anonymous Twitter account, that kind of thing, they're not going to bother, you know. But if anybody has yeah. any questions to me about about what I write or what I do or, or anything else like that, that's fine, you know. So that's fair comment, you know. So what you're writing about Mark Pollock's TED Talk, I haven't seen it now. That's, I would probably consider that fair comment as long as you don't call him all the cunts under the sun kind of thing he no? didn't he didn't do anything like that no, I, I thought it was I thought it was really good because it's it's something that you never think about like you know you never like when I was reading obviously right I, I listened to the TED talk and I knew that Graham had already kind of he, he was going to write something about it so when I was watching it I was kind of thinking about Graham as I was watching it but until I read it like I had no I had no grasp of what he was going to say and it was it was eye-opening so I don't understand the editor at all in that situation to be honest with you yeah I'd, I'd speed loaf him speed loaf that editor <laughs> but to me, you, you use your forehead like a jab <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go back at the start of the year lads because we did say that it would be kind of year and pick a yep. few pieces and one of the most kind of gripping story that took the nation uh, by storm this year was back in February, March with the Belfast rape trial. Yep. Now, as a journalist, um, I want your perspective, guys, on the libelous stuff there and how you felt. Because in my opinion, during that process, and even through stories this week, uh, I don't think keyboard warriors at home that that write 140 characters. I think they think they're the journalists and I don't think they appreciate that people have spent three, four years uh, studying journalism. What was your, what was the, what did you, what did you think about the whole process of the Belfast rape trial and how it was reported, uh, social media and the damage that was done or if there was damage done? Well, I think if I could just throw something out there first, lads, if that trial had happened in Sweden, those lads, Paddy Jackson, Stuart Olding, they never would have been named publicly until after the verdict. And then only if there was a guilty verdict, right? Now, that to me, and you may disagree with me here, is the right way to go, right? Because they weren't found innocent. They were found not guilty of what they were charged with, right? But in the course of that, the evidence came out. The WhatsApp group is the most incriminating piece of evidence. Not that they were rapists or guilty of rape, but that they were arseholes, right? And what that caused an enormous amount of damage and hurt and a serious amount of discussions around the way we talk about women. They're discussions that I welcome because it's something we need to talk about, right? But in a different jurisdiction, they never would have been named. They would have maintained their right to a good name, however dubious that might that right might be. You know, I thought that it was it was very salacious. I thought that the court case in itself and court reporting is very very special. I've done a very very small amount. I did a little bit of a recently again for the first time in a long time, and it's very very special because you're reporting pretty much exactly what's said. You can't jeopardise the trial by putting a value judgment into it either. So it's a very very difficult thing to do. So you're reporting with a straight bat, you know. And uh, I thought you know what came after it was quite nuanced. For Irish media, I don't consider Irish media to be hugely mature or to be um, well understood. I don't think we're very literate as media consumers. And we've talked extensively about this before, all three of us actually now that I think of it, right? So I think that there were lessons learned there. We learned that there's, you know, there's very seldom something that's black and white. There's very seldom just guilty and not guilty. There could be wrong and right in a lot of things as well. But I can tell you something for nothing. I'm glad I wasn't in court every day covering it because it's a very, very difficult thing to do. Yeah, I think, and PT, myself and yourself are literally from the same school of journalism, and I don't know about when you were there, but 
I, we, we were sent down to the courts to experience court reporting and it's the only time that I've ever since then I haven't ever gone back but I remember being there at the time being like yeah this is a completely different ball game this there's a yeah it's lot. a new set of tools it's a exactly. different set of tools yeah, altogether yeah. yeah so it it's when you're saying all that, Phil, I'm kind of in my head going like, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to have been assigned that gig if I was a journo. Mm. There is no way I would have been happy to be going up to Belfast, sitting in that courtroom, and trying to, you know, pull the strands that are needed to report the story without getting dragged in to all the bullshit going on externally because it was, yeah. a, it was a circus. Like, it was just a circus. And that's, that's what I remember about it in particular. Um, just just everyone having a fully formed opinion in their own opinion before anything had actually happened. And I can remember um, I'd be talking to journalists and, and you could nearly see their face turn white. You see the blood run out of them when you say, like, what's going on here? You know, you're going like, what What do you think? And nobody wanted to say anything because nobody know how they should feel, where they should be. And then on the opposite scale, on social media, everybody thought they knew exactly how they feel and exactly what they wanted to get across. It was just... It was something that we've never experienced before over here. I don't think I can't remember anything like it anyway. Phil, maybe you can. I'll just let you know a little bit about the court case that I worked on recently because it had the potential to be a fucking global story. It could have been absolutely massive. There was an ex-Premier League footballer accused of match-fixing in this country, right here in Sweden. He was accused of trying to bribe a former goalkeeping teammate uh, to fix the result of a game between AIK here in Stockholm and IFK Gothenburg. One of the biggest, it's, yeah. you know, Bowes v. Rovers, whatever you want to call it. It's one of the biggest games in the country, right? And uh, he met this guy, a Canadian goalkeeper called Kenny Stamatopoulos for lunch, right? And the player in question was a guy called Dixon Atuhu. Now, I will name Dixon Atuhu now, but for a long time, I didn't because I wanted to go with the sort of Swedish rule of, okay, if this guy is found innocent or found not guilty of these charges, I don't want to drag his fucking name through the mud, right? Now, it turned out then that another English uh, newspaper named it. I usually work for the Reuters news agency, and I didn't name him for Reuters. I did say it was an ex-Premier League player and that kind of thing, and I didn't plant the seed so that everybody could work out who it was either, because that would have been unfair to him as well, you know, where you give all the fucking clubs he ever played for, and there might be 10 of them, and you could go, it could only be him. So another newspaper named it. I still didn't name him, lads. I still Stayed away from it. I said, what they do is their own fucking business, right? Now, only when he gave an interview here in Sweden and he named himself, he went out there with his own name, his own picture, and said, this is ridiculous, yada, 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 right? Now, last Thursday morning, the judgment came in. I read the entire investigation. The entire investigation was 473 pages long, right? Drove me fucking Jesus Christ. Now, on... It was that was a sentence in itself, right? Mm. So and followed the whole court proceedings all day online, the whole fucking whatever it was, half eight to five o'clock, all the evidence, all the interviews, followed the whole thing. The judgment came a week later and he was found not guilty, right? So the stories that I had written at that stage, I'd named him, I'd said he was facing these charges, I described what happened in court, and then I described the fact immediately that he was found not guilty of all the charges, etc. etc. Didn't go into the details of what you know what was put before the courts, and there was some weird shit, and I'll tell you now, they sent some video footage from the lunch restaurant where they met to talk about this thing they sent you know the security camera footage that you see every time you go robbing the centre Danny when they bring that up right? what they did was they sent it to the FBI right and they tried to get them to lip read to see if there was any offer of money being made here right this is the kind of thing you're dealing with didn't write any of that because the chap was found not guilty all of a sudden that becomes irrelevant he has a right to a good name he's a right to walk out of that courtroom and pick up what was left of his life he was trying to work as a soccer agent obviously nobody had fucked 
fucking talk to him whilst all this was going on, right? So I have to balance his right to a good name and his right to a life outside the courtroom after this, right? Now, that what right as such wasn't given to Paddy Jackson. Do I like Paddy Jackson as an individual? I'm not going to say I do. Do I think he has a right to be a fucking star playing for the, uh, the Irish rugby team? No, I don't think so because I think we have uh, people who could be better role models and better represent the country because of what he said in his WhatsApp groups, right? Does he have a right to make a living? Absolutely. Does he have a right to have a, a private life with his family? Absolutely. Does he have a right to go out and have a few drinks at the end of the year with his mates? Absolutely. But it's a really, really fine line we're walking here. And Peter, we come across a lot in mixed martial arts in terms of guys who've tested positive and had things swept up under the carpet. I think we were saying just before we got going here that the stuff we know that would make our hair turn grey, but we could never make it stand up and, uh, under libel laws or that kind of thing. And we have to respect that. We can't hang people out to dry because they're entitled to due process and to their day in court. But again, I go back to that thing. It's so fucking difficult, especially when you're sending a sort of colour reporter, right? It's one thing to report the fact, but somebody who's reporting what's going on in the courtroom and whose ma's crying and all this kind of thing, like, and what they look like and who's wearing what and Rory Best coming in, that kind of thing. It's a fucking minefield. But like I say, to circle back to where I started, I don't think that any, anybody suspected or charged should be named until such time as they've been found guilty of something and then put it out there for all you want, you know? Is is there, an, and I'm not asking for the legal definition, but like, is, is there something around the whole not guilty versus innocent? And like, I mean, the second it gets to court, I think it's always going to be not guilty. You can't be found innocent, I don't think. And I'm not 100% sure. But in terms of the semantics, in terms of the public opinion on that, and that whole thing of the right to a good name, is there going to be a kind of bias then towards, you know, well, not guilty. Mm, Yeah, well, you see, there's this thing, there's always this thing of there's no smoke without fire, you know, and that's the thing that sort of kills everybody. They go, oh, you know, he must have done something. And in this instance, again, what we're dealing with most of the time with court cases, and with any sense of morality whatsoever, are shades of grey. There's no right and wrong. The only time you'll ever find that one party is right and the other party is wrong is when I'm talking to PT about anything whatsoever, right? That's the only time that it's as clear-cut as that. The rest of the time, it's shades of grey, really. And we'll reserve that. When he's talking about MMA, he's usually right and I'm wrong. I'll give him that when it's Christmas, you know? That's not true. (laughs) (laughs) But but that's that's about the only time that 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 happens, you know? Because, again, any time you sit down to write a story, I think Meryl just fell off the internet now. I can only see the ceiling in this room. But, um, um, it, 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 the only time you ever see that, like you know, it's, it's very, very seldom you're going to get something that's, that's as clear cut as that, you know. And it could be like when you sit down to write a story, Dan. You know, when you were studying journalism and that kind of thing, and you sit down to write a story. The first thing you have to do is decide what angle you're going to take on it, right? Yeah. I interviewed the Danish manager, and I couldn't be asked to ask him another question about Ireland, so I was trying to find another fucking angle for the interview I did today, you know. And it was just, you know, how he sort of tweaked the way Denmark played football and made them great again, you know, make Denmark great again, you know. And uh, we've seen that with our own eyes, kind of thing. But yeah, you know, just in, in doing doing that alone and making that judgment that okay I'm going to make this story about the girl I'm going to make it about rugby I'm going to make it about the law I'm going to make it about the confrontational process of trials that kind of thing just those judgments alone are putting a value on something and reducing the value of others so it's extremely complicated and there's loads of those like you know you talk about uh, Catherine Nevin the Black Widow the way that case is reported like the salacious way that these things are reported in Ireland like that's just one of the things that, that springs to mind you know if that woman had been found not guilty of being involved in the murder of her husband who the fuck could she ever go to Duns again you know yeah. it's just it's impossible you know PT I'm very impressed man you, obviously the, the representing Blanchardstown you know to keep your mouth shut around court reporting that's know? it I just stay quiet <laughs> snitches get stitches <laughs> like just let this that 
Why do you think he moved to Sweden? He was an outsider at one stage as well. Right, excuse me, I'm on the I'm on the run from a library fine for the Ilac Centre. I'll have you now. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah. I definitely am. I'm not. I, I'm not going to pretend to be any kind of expert on a uh, car reporting, um, but. Phil certainly is by the sounds of things. So take it away, Phil. Lads, lads, basically, if there's a mistake to be made, I fucking made it and it's cost me, right? So take the benefit of Niall McGrath, a good friend from uh, offtheball.com, calls me Gandalf for a fucking reason, you know? I stood there and said they shall not pass down for about 25 years. So join in, you know? Pete, have you ever get tempted to uh, write other articles, other than MMA, like in, in so, and, and that's, you see on Twitter that, yeah, yeah, I do. I just, um, it's just I don't know anything as well. Um, I used to do all all sport and stuff like that. I can remember just when I when I was doing my internship um, with the Herald, I spent an hour on the news desk and I just went, "No, this is this is wrong, man. This is wrong. What you are doing? You know what I mean? Like I, I just felt what is happening? It's too much like hard work." No, it's like like the people are competing over the this the sleaziest, the most salacious story. You know what I mean? Like people, oh, give me that one. You know what I mean? That that sounds like a morbid killing. Give me that one. You know, and it's just it wasn't for me. And uh, the way I used to see it was like either sport happened or it didn't. Like we can see it. It's either it happened or it didn't. Everybody knows. And then, of course, you get into sport and you go, well, that's uh, thrown out the window immediately because. <laughs> There's so many grey areas again and stuff like that. And I guess I guess um MMA was just the one thing that I was always like the the expert on because there was no one else doing it at the time. So you kind of felt important, you know what I mean? If you're getting the message out there and then it just becomes everything you do, you become uh, completely um completely immersed in it. And um say right, when you've picked MMA as your specialty, okay, and let's say all right, you're saying that sport, it happens, you have to report on it. Yeah. So you report the lead-up to a fight, the weigh-ins, the press conferences, the fight, the post-fight, right? Is it, is it, because I might, uh, this might be a bit of an out-there comment or whatever, but a lot of the MMA lads, they're not good guys, like, they're not good role models. Like, Yeah, they're very the, interesting. Like, a lot of them are, but they're interesting, but do you ever get sucked into Troy and get the human interest side of the individual? Yeah, I definitely do. And I think there's some of my, uh, my most, the work I'm most proud of is probably the stuff about Neil Siri. Um, because, Brilliant. yeah, because he, cause he was a guy that didn't want any kind of spotlight. Um, you know, when Connor came along, it became a, a game of, uh, this is like, you know, um, nearly like a braggadocious thing. And he was the exact opposite. We used to show up in the gym to interview Siri and he'd run out the fire exit, you know, and like he still did, does. Yeah, and that was just really interesting, you know what I mean? Here's a guy that doesn't want to do this, uh, he just has to do it. And in, in the end, I think he's the most interesting subject I've ever had for anything. Um, and and that that was and great compliments I got from the stuff with Siri, like from the likes of Paul Kimmage. It was like, I didn't, I didn't even understand what was going on in MMA until I read this. And I understand what these guys are, are sacrificing and what, what they're giving up, so... Yeah, I, I do have that, but like obviously now I'm working for MMA Fighting. I don't really have any kind of features website I'm doing. It's very news driven. It's um, it's you know more like breaking news and uh, getting reports out as as quickly as possible. But that's something I definitely want to do again. I think it's something that's really necessary in Ireland, to be honest, because nobody in Ireland knows like for the vast the vast majority of people don't know anything about the sport outside of Conor McGregor, and I think it's it's very unfair to base our whole perception of the sport on him, you know. 
Well, I think it can be a little bit unfair to yourself as well, Peter, in terms of what you do is you write about people. They just happen to be fighters. And, you know, the stories that we've all heard, you know, of various different fighters. Connor's story is fascinating. Graham and the lads made that great film about it and that kind of thing. But Paddy Hoolan's story is fascinating, the way he retired. Neil Seary and the things that he told you about depression and, and you know, the, the fear he had of his career ending and that kind of thing. Ashling Daly. And you've written all these great stories. Now, it's, it's a sh- you're going to find your way back to that because, like I was saying earlier on, there's not enough calories for you and what you're doing now. You know, you mm-hmm. love to sit down and to talk to people and to be part of that sort of buzz that's going on and finding out these stories about where these athletes came from but the great thing about MMA fighting now for you is that now it's on a European level you know yeah, uh, the, yeah. the Paddy Pimblets and that kind of thing you're telling those stories to an American audience and a global audience for the first time and that's brilliant so essentially it's not too far removed from news journalism or features journalism anyway in some way I managed to get in there but I'd love to see you do more of it you know so yeah. when I buy MMAfighting.com and add it to my portfolio I shall make you features editor in chief you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, I found I found to be honest, um, the MMA media thing like there's big debates going on in MMA media now. Um, you know, obviously like uh, Ian Kidd, uh, who worked for Bloody Elbow, was um, he was was he was charged at, uh, as um, for having child pornography, and I mean this is this is something like that's kind of brought up like oh. They're, they're kind of blaming the outlet they worked on because they, they haven't done background checks and stuff. Like, I mean, I think this is all a product of of Trump's America, to be honest. Like, I, I just think it's all, let's all point fingers at the media. Like, I mean, I, I, it, it, it's really, it's really like, um, this isn't good enough. This guy is. And it's it's, it's crazy. It's like, it's it's cannibalism nearly. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like, some, Sometimes some of the, this was a talking point on Brendan uh, O'Connor's Cutting Edge where a couple of weeks ago it was, where it was like, is it PR or is it journalism? And how do you tell the difference? I'm amazed that I can actually talk and have a conversation with somebody who watches Brendan O'Connor's Cutting Edge. <laughs> this has to be the first time, and it'll fucking definitely be the last time, Meryl. But <laughs> the, the two worlds are very intertwined now, you know, and you see a lot of the stuff, like half the emails we get from the UFC are, oh, they've done a deal with some tequila company or some beer company, or they're, you know, some TV deal in, in Indonesia or something like this, you know, and that's PR. And then, the, like, the actual news end of things, uh, I think Eamon Dunphy was saying on his podcast the other day, like, journalism is something that somebody somewhere doesn't want to be made public, you know? And we have to draw the line there. You're always asking yourself, right, am I doing this? Am, am I sort of punching up or am I punching down? You know, this kind of thing. Or am I, like, being the guy, you know, am I being the PR arm of, of Conor McGregor? Am I being the PR arm of Liverpool Football Club or, or whatever else like that, you know? And, like, sometimes it's okay to do a little bit of PR for somebody. I came across a recent case of a journalist from Yemen who's been threatened with being deported from Sweden. And I looked at her and I went, I have to know more about this, right? Because she's been threatened by uh, radical Islamists for some the stuff she wrote. Basically, a cleric had said that the rape of an eight-year-old child had something to do with the way she was dressed. She wrote an article in a newspaper in Istanbul and Turkey and she went that's bollocks your man should be fucking you know he should be thrown out whatever it was and then all of a sudden her daughter who's 16 years old started getting calls on her phone saying they knew where she went to school and the bad things were going to happen to her right she came to Sweden was told she couldn't claim asylum here because she had a valid visa to go to the Czech Republic because she'd been talking at some uh, conference there I went that's bollocks, right? You know, so now I'll do what could be considered PR for her, right? Because by me making her uh, her case public in the channels that I work for, it's whether I like it or not, it's going to draw attention to her cause, right? And it just so happens I agree with her cause in this case, you know. So it's quite difficult to sort of to walk that line, but you have to consistently ask yourself why? Why am I being told this, and why now, right? So. 
a footballer's agent might ring you up and say, oh, you know, there was a fella from Dortmund at the match the other night, you know, and uh, I think I think you might have been looking at my, but why? Why are you telling me this now? Is the Unfless contract up in three or four months' time? And if that's the reason why, then you're talking through your hoops, on, you know, because you got to be aware of these things, you know? Phil, Phil yeah. has given away top secrets because him and PT <laughs> had the ability to make it as a journalist. I didn't, so I had to go the dark side of working in corporate comms. And I, I'm the one that's sending out these press releases a lot of the time. And all I want is the paper to tell the story that I'm telling. That's so, long, so long as they don't start asking dirty questions and so long as they use the quotes that I've given them and that's not lying, my job is done. And if I can kill the story with that press release... So when Phil is saying things like, you need to know why they're telling you the things they're telling you, Phil... Your line is going to go dead in a minute, mate. That's all I'm saying. Danny, before it goes dead, just let me tell you a yarn about Aslan, right? Way back in the fucking, in the mid-90s, a friend of mine was managing the band, along with another lovely fella called Larkin Els from Wexford. And I used to write the press releases for them. So I have been on the dark side, right? <laughs> and I came out, I'm like Darth Vader at the end of Return of the Jedi now, right? I'm all fucking pasty and ready to die, but there you go. But one day, we were trying to get um, the lads in. They played a gig in Mountjoy Prison, right? And we were trying to get a story into the papers the following day and that kind of thing. And I couldn't get hold of Christy because you could fucking never get hold of Christy right and we, his nickname at that point was you'll never guess what happened right because <laughs> he was late for everything and then I couldn't get hold of Billy McGuinness so this is before there's no mobile phones or any of this bullshit then you know so I couldn't get hold of any of them so I made up the quotes right and the next day the lads bought the Daily Star and there was the story and they played in, <laughs> they played in Mountjoy Prison it was the most captive audience we've ever played to said Billy McGuinness <laughs> which Paris to Aslan Boy, Jesus, he rang me up where he's fucking jabbing after that. <laughs> That's good. Well, he, he loved it, like, because, you know, that was the obvious thing. And Billy was exactly the kind of guy. If I hadn't spoken to Billy, he probably would have said that anyway, you yeah. know, that way. So I've been on that side of it. And the thing is, like, we need to be realistic as well, because, you know, there are companies out there. I'm going out to do a story next week about uh, the hardest steel in the world, right? It's actually not in P.T. Carroll's knuckles and not in his, not his jujitsu loop choke, you know? That's not where it is at all. It's in some places. Definitely not. But, but like, and again, I'm doing the company a favor by it, but it's also an interesting story from a sort of an innovative point of view and that kind of thing. So sometimes, Mero, I'll sit down, or sorry, sometimes, Danny, I'll sit down and I'll drink your Kool-Aid. That's fine, you know. But I will ask you those awkward questions. I'm not just going to copy and paste your quotes and stick them in there. You know, you're going to have to have that fucking rough 15 minutes guy call me when I go, ah, oh, hold on a second, what's this, you know. That's where I, anytime you're available, I wouldn't be. And I'd ask for your colleague. <laughs> every time he puts a press release out he checks to see if I'm offline on Facebook Messenger <laughs> well, with, I was talking about then about uh, you know main, uh, social media as well like we've seen the good and the bad of it between the Belfast rape trial and then uh, the repeal the 8th yeah. referendum like you know the way one side of the argument would have been accused of buying media space and stuff like that yeah where does that come into it in terms of pr and journalism and media i think you know you have to be very careful again about the questions we have to ask there should be control questions that we ask all the time who's telling me this why is it interesting why are they telling me this now qui bono who benefits that, that, that doesn't happen though with the, that doesn't happen with twitter anymore though it's just you see a tweet and you'll say someone will say Ch- Chinese whisper and then I'll screenshot that tweet to Petey and I'll say Petey is that true or what? 
Yeah, you see, but that's the thing. Like, like the very fact that you do that, that means that you're trying to check with somebody who might have knowledge that you don't have, and it's somebody that you trust, right? But there's so many people who just go, "I'm going to retweet the bollocks out of that." You have no idea how many people are telling me about Sweden outside my windows, a fucking war zone. If I was to believe half the people who interact with me on Twitter at the moment, there's a Christmas tree on the green. That's all the fucking is. There's nothing else, lads. It's the most peaceful fucking scene you'll ever see. But if you're to believe people on Twitter, they just drive you up the fucking wall. So not only should you continue doing what you're doing there, Meryl, and screenshot and stuff. Now, don't screenshot any dirty. Peter doesn't like that kind of thing, right? So, it's like, <laughs> screenshot stuff and send it to him and ask him. But everybody should be doing it. Everybody should be sort of pinging me and asking me if Danny's press release is true or asking me if this fact about Sweden is true or whatever. Because unless we become these discerning media consumers, that's how people get twisted into believing things. Because if you put something in front of them, I remember a tabloid editor here, because Sweden has tabloids too. It's not this fucking perfect country everybody thinks it is. But remember a tabloid editor... Uh, tell me so here that it doesn't have to be true it just has to be possible that was his thing for a headline so it doesn't have to be true it just has to be possible and you know this is the same guy who wrote about um a guy getting onto a Ryanair plane here with a gun an unloaded gun in uh he had it in his, his wash bag you know and it was a fucking bigger story it turned out to be nothing really you know i think it was just a fucking a joke gun or whatever you know and that was the very same fellow who said this to me. It doesn't have to be true. It just has to be possible. So we need to take it back from the realms of what's possible and put it into, okay, what are the facts here? What's true here? So, PT, when, when, when somebody like Mero sends you a screenshot, then, is your reaction, oh, for fuck's sake? Or... Yeah, because you have to go. You have to go. Like, you <laughs> yeah. see, uh, someone, someone sends me something like that, I have to go and find out. And I, I go on, like, a lunatic, and it's just, like, there's so many of them avenues. I, I know Phil probably knows what I'm talking about, like, you start off in the day and you go, I have to get this done, this done, and this done. And then Mero sends you a message. And then eight hours later, you go, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I have to get all that stuff done. Yeah, so that's Ele- what it is. It's, every day is like that for me, to be yeah. honest. Elaine, Ele- 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 hold my calls. <laughs> oh. I do, every time Elaine comes home from work and I'm just sitting there going, do you know how much I work today? Do you know how many- <laughs> Too many hours of work I have left to do because this happened and this happened. That's every day. And Elaine is going, Peter, you're sitting in your boxers. What's the yeah, matter? Yeah. Can you wash yourself, please? <laughs> Did you not even glad. wash Reggie? At, yeah, I know, yeah. Oh, lads. Re- Reggie, Reggie's walking himself. Sorry, that. Right. No, you're all right, lads. At this point, I would just like to say the benefit of doing these over Skype and not in the fabulous and famous Fitzpatrick Castle as we frequently do is that I'm actually doing this in me jocks. It's tremendous. <laughs> Please don't put the sales of video down, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Oh, man, I tell you what, P- though. Yeah. PT's looking a bit a bit the worse for wear. I don't know, you know. So. I'm knackered. I was in Cardiff all weekend. I'm only, uh, I, I came home and um, Mero sent me down several mud, uh, some mud holes. <laughs> several, <laughs> several, uh, he sent me down several uh, rabbit holes during the night. So I've been up and I still haven't been able to get them answered. So it's an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> At the time of recording, all we will say is we can't talk about much of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Don't exactly. mention the war. You were covering Cage Warriors 100, PT. What, what was it yeah. like in terms of, because like, it was arguably the biggest European MMA show of the year, you could say. Yeah, probably, yeah. It was It was very good. It's it's very different. Like It's grown so much from the likes of when all the Irish guys came through it. It's... um. It's a brand that's just made all the UFC fighters in Europe. Like it's it's the bona fide path to the UFC, so it's it's very important. Um, I, I think I was a bit disappointed with the crowd. To be honest, there was only mm. there was it was only a five thousand seater venue, and um, you know it, it wasn't full. And you think at this stage, you know, like f- five years after Connor kind of 
went and he and he kind of created the path and made it so famous that it would would be one of those things. And they kind of have a little scene over there in Wales, like we had in Ireland at that time. And I know there's going to be eighty thousand people that said they were there that night when Jack Shaw <laughs> won the uh, bantamweight title. The same way everybody tells me they were in the the helix when Connor did it. So it's just interesting because you know you're a part of. Uh, it's definitely going to be a historic night. That Jack Shaw lad's going to be an absolute sensation. And people are always going to look back on that night, you know. But, uh, yeah, it was very good. It's um, it's just MMA. It's just a, I think it's just part of the, a huge part of the landscape over here. And, of course, it's run by an Irishman in uh, Graham Boylan, who we have a lot to thank for. He's like one of these kind of love-hate figures in the sport. But um, he's probably one of the most important figures in European MMA. I'm sure you'd agree, Phil. Yeah, no, he's definitely doing great things there. You know, I, I, I'm still not too mad in his neck tattoo. I'll never get over that. And he always stands with that side to the camera, you know. But he's yeah. done brilliant things. And it's, it's a really credible organisation, you know. I mean, they seem to, they don't get a whole lot of pullouts from their shows. They put on good shows, good fights, well organised, that kind of thing, you know. And it is great to see an Irish guy doing that and picking up these guys. And it is the proven route to the UFC. I mean, there's so many guys going there, you know, now. And I think I was talking to Sean Sheehan recently about how it's becoming a little bit harder because the standard of the UFC is so high these days. And in case warriors are still talking about okay they're professional but they're semi-professional there's very few of them you know Paddy Pimble can afford to do this full time but there's yeah. very few lads who can afford to train full time but it's brilliant it's a brilliant TV show they have Dan Hardy there and Dan is a great analyst of fights and that kind of thing he says you know when he like an awful lot of the time if I was listening to Joe Rogan it's just I can't listen to him in the breaks or anything else like that you know but Dan I listened to because Dan's been in there and he's done it and he knows what he's talking about you know but it was great actually to see uh, PT Carroll back uh, at cage side again because a little while since you did an event on Cyprus isn't it yeah yeah I can't actually remember I think it was um, it was in Bellator in London and Liverpool and then we got one of the guys who was this is actually ridiculous one of the guys who was competing on that card uh, Cage Warriors he actually just somehow ended up being our taxi driver from uh, London to Liverpool that Jesus. night. Like it was a, it was meant to be some other fella. And then Alex Lahore came along, who used to be the Bama champion. He's like, oh yeah, he can't do it. I'm driving. You know, I was like, is this a joke? Like, and he's like, no, absolutely not. I was like, oh, he's Alex straight open. Oh, he fought in yeah. Dublin, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he fought yeah. Richard Coyley. Richard Coyley, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, like I know it was just like this is ridiculous. And in the end, we're going down the road, but I was so terrified. I was just like like holding the 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 story of the car and just eyes wide open the whole way. So I arrived down in Liverpool then. Darren Till misses weight. We're up half the bleeding day waiting to report on that. It was an absolute nightmare. But that's that's one memory I'll always have with me. That guy driving us down the M50. If you have the chance at all, lads, right, get an accreditation for, for any sort of cage fighting again event and sit beside PT Carroll and you will have the time of your lives. I swear <laughs> to God. Himself and Niall, it's just it's never as much crack anywhere else as sitting with the two of them watching fights. It's just brilliant. I sat, I sat, I sat with him for KSW in Dublin and we nearly got murdered. Remember that? I was looking at it. Oh, we're going to die now. We're going to die you now. You see? I told you. That wasn't nothing to do with it being KSW, KSW Mero. That was just what happens here with PT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did um, Mero have his Shamrock Rovers jersey on? Did he? With actually, that that's, a, that's a fair point. <laughs> that's what it was. Actually, that's it. We're blaming PT, and it's that hooligan, exactly. Rovers jersey. Um, what's going on here? Lads, can we do It was after I saw a lad. This is the funniest thing that I've ever seen in my life, right? <laughs> uh, it's terrible, but it's funny. Uh, so there was a bunch of uh, Polish lads, very, very intimidating looking men, up in the crowd watching this, covered in tattoos, bald heads, the whole lot. An Irish security man, like, you know, out of shape. He's just doing it for the 10 of the hour. Like, he doesn't want any bollocks. He ran up and he's like, oh, lads, will you stop? 
the other fella turned around and slapped him and he just ran down the stairs and just went back to his position he was like fuck that <laughs> That was during the Norman Park fight. Yeah, that was mental. Then they fucking good old MMA. But I mean, um, at least at least it's exciting, you know. You can't say the same for the soccer team, lads. Jesus uh, Christ! Now look, we'll we'll get on to that because I've no doubt Mero wants to keep going with his fucking misery year from what he's. I been get I so get far. all of my football. How I should feel about football from Graham Americans <laughs> on this which, podcast, which is terrible, PT, because all They're you're gonna bastards. get in is fucking Rovers, 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 right? Yeah. But in, ter- in terms of MMA, because it's been a bit of a good, bad and ugly year. Like, I mean, I'm just after checking Twitter there and uh, John Jones is being granted a temporary fight license. So mm. uh, UFC 30- 232 just got interesting. Yeah, Still I mean, <clears throat> UFC just const- constantly kind of do these things. Like, look what they're after doing with Greg Hardy. Um, you know what I mean? They put him on the card with, with a girl who suffered uh, domestic yeah. violence. Like, I mean... I said this before. I said the same thing about the the post fight of uh, UFC two two nine. Like they're creating this environment, you know, like where where it's so easy to criticize them, and then they're they're kind of wondering like what like for so long it was it was an effort to kind of make the sport legitimate. That's why we saw the uniforms come in to make it look like the NFL, and we had the drug testing to come in. But like when you when you bring in drug testing, everyone should be drug tested. Everyone should know what the crack is. You can't just have Brock Lesnar arriving on the set to cave someone's head in he's like ah no he definitely isn't on it lads don't mind what he looks like <laughs> he's definitely like, you, know not. I mean? like, you know what I mean this is crazy it's just it's like they give they give people so much uh, ammunition to slate them and then they're like surprised about it like did you see Dana White talking about the Greg Hardy incident last week oh it's ridiculous, ridiculous it's just like this guy come on man like come on you have to know you have to know that it's like nobody's talking about it everybody's fucking talking about it it's like, shit like that. That's talking about it. It's <laughs> shit like that that makes Dana very hard to like. Yeah, it's Dana's a bit of a wanker though. Yeah, when he makes it, he makes it just so hard to to yeah. sympathise with him. And like, you hear people going like, "He's right." No, he's not right. Like, you know, he's not right. You know, everybody he's, saw people. He's talk from the family of. He's from the fucking Church of Trump, though, isn't he, Dana? Loves yeah. Trump. Yeah, he backed Trump. He went out at the Republican National Congress and talked him up and that kind of thing. He said that was out of loyalty for Trump's early support of the UFC during the Fertitas and Dana's tenure and that kind of thing. But I mean, to be honest, what you have is basically a shyster or some sort of a huckster is what uh, he is. I mean, what was Dana doing before the UFC? He was making boxing apparel and putting Boxer on Boxer baby. Yeah, yeah, boxer size and, and, and doing this kind of thing, you know. And he, he's taken that same thing and he's just sort of scaled it up, right? So he's still trying to run the UFC as if he was doing it out of his garage. And it's just, yeah. for me, it doesn't work. And I mean, I remember saying this to, to you, Peter, several years ago, when we first met probably three or four years ago. And I would say that now I'm here because I am the mainstream. I work for the biggest fucking agencies in the world, right about sports for them for years. And when I arrived, that's you know, like, this is, now, this is now a big show. But they're still the most amateur organization I've ever dealt with, right? Dana White, I've, I've called Dana White on several occasions. He never calls me back. But his PR person will call me back within about two minutes. But Dana won't speak to me face to face. He won't speak to me over the phone. He won't deal with any of my questions. And you'll just get some PR person sending you back a list of stock responses much like Danny Murray does with his press releases right so Danny Murray is he's the Dana White of Irish PR right but um, I'll take that I'll take that (laughs) I, I wouldn't say if I didn't believe it but the thing is like 
you know, they're trying to be so hard to be mainstream, and yet they just don't get it. You know, you have they don't to- even know what the media is. Like, no, they, for the no. most part, they don't know what it is. Like, it's actually like you're like you're, you're smacking your head off a wall sometimes, going like, "Come on, lads." Yeah, Jesus sure, Christ! The last fight, but when Connor was due to fight Khabib, and they were going on because Connor didn't want to do any press whatsoever. Zero, nada. Khabib says if Connor's not doing it, I'm not doing it at all. Zero, nada. And they said, oh, no, I said to them, I said to UFC, I said, okay, the biggest news agency in the world, if you let me sit down with these guys, I'll film the interviews and I'll put it out and it goes to every media client in the world worth their name. Everybody has a feed for Reuters or AP or AFP, right? I'll get it out on one of those platforms, most likely Reuters, and it will go everywhere. Everybody will have it. It'll be on every fucking news show, right? When Connor was putting out the notorious uh, film with Graham and that kind of thing, they got me in the room first to <laughs> put that out as fast as I fucking could. And it went, to, the, the, the footage was shown on all over the world, bits of the film and everything else like that. So that ended up being a little bit of PR for them. But it was also the first time that Conor apologised for using the word faggot uh, at that fight. That was uh, when Artem lost. Was it that he used that in dance? Yeah, yeah, in, in, that's right. But uh, but then I went to the UFC and they wrote back on what. <laughs> Was it, how, how does this work? I went, okay, so it's a news agency, so we send everything to, out to everybody, and then they use it. It's called a news agency. Went, I'll get back to you about that. Not a fucking word. <laughs> I went over to London to meet one of the executives, and I sat down with that person, and I explained the whole thing to that person. Brilliant. That is the best fucking idea I have ever heard. Not a word. Not a word since, right? And they go, lads, I'm not going to keep doing this, because, you know, Barcelona are out there, you know, the, the Champions League is out there, there's loads of other things out there. Like, now we're talking about, you know what the big sport at the moment in Europe is? Biathlon. Fellas skiing and shooting. And by Jesus, they'll put any biathlete on the phone to me any hour of the day or night that I want them, right? Now, it just so happens, you get a bit of crack out, but it gets a bit boring after a while. I'd rather it was Dana White doing it, you know. But until they realise that, and I don't know, it's probably going to take Dana leaving the whole show and a, a sort of a proper sporting executive coming in who understands all these things. Because, like, when I go over to do the NBA games, no bother. Straight into the locker room, talk to who you want, still fix up whatever you want, because they're trying to grow the NBA. I write from a European perspective about European players. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Fucking fire away, Chief. They talked about doing a podcast, a lot like what your PT is doing now for European MMA, and they were sort of exploring the idea of doing a podcast from a European perspective, you know? I might have to rob your title for that PT, but you won't mind that. I'll buy <laughs> no, a few no, points. No. You know? But, but that's the way. But they think that way. But the, the UFC don't. And until they do, I think Bellator are getting better at it. One are getting better at it. Ryzen are getting better at it. Because at least they see now what can be done. And uh, when Floyd Mayweather was announced to be fighting in Japan on New Year's Eve, they reached out. They gave Reuters and CNN got the exclusive interviews uh, to publicize that. And then Floyd came out and said, this is not happening at all. And then he says, it is happening. And lads, I just want to go to bed. I'm sick of this shit. And, and they're wearing headgear. They're wearing headgear, do you know? Are they? Yeah. Oh god. What they're saying yesterday. You, yeah. You think um? You think UFC's missing the Vertidas? Yeah. Um. Like I mean, I I liked what they were doing. I liked that they were kind of making it sport, making it making it. Well, they're uh, trying to. You know what I mean? Because it, it's 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 entertainment and sport. It's it's obviously borrowed heavily from the pro wrestling world, as you guys know and have educated on, me on before. But they were actually kind of dressing it up like this is is uh this is real you know and we all kind of were worried in that way but as soon as they sold the company it's gone completely the opposite way so that kind of makes you feel like they dressed it up like a sport to sell it for 4.5 billion and now it's a game of let's try and make as much money as we can we need to justify the kind of price tag we're after paying here and that's why we're seeing all this madness well, I think the big problem was the debt that WME IMG took on or whatever the yeah. fuck they're calling themselves these days. I don't know. Endeavor. But, um, 
endeavor. There you go. But they took on a huge amount of debt, right? When you purchase things like that, you know, you either purchase them for cash or you somehow structure the debt around it. It's like the now, Glaciers and United. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Similar thing, right? Because it happens in all the sports. And you go, yeah, that's brilliant. I'm going to buy that for X amount of money. How much cash have you got? Ah, oh, sorry, I'll fix that next week, Chief. But they have to keep paying back. And just the interest repayments alone, because this is not like, you know, when you go down for the mortgage on your mansion, Danny, and they say, oh, you know, you will give you this for one and a half, two percent. You know, it's not like that. This could be six, seven, eight percent. Now, I have no idea whatsoever what uh, WME or Endeavor are paying in interest, but this is a risky business. And $4.3 billion is a lot of money, you know. So there's a lot that they have to squeeze out of it, which is why, you know, Daniel Cormier is linked with a fight every third Saturday. It's why they're desperate to get Conor McGregor back in there. It's why they're trying to make fights. Any fight they can, it doesn't matter. They're trying to get it back in there. It wouldn't surprise me if they're ringing Ronda Rousey's phone off the hook, trying to get her to come back, you know, and, and this kind of thing. So it's it like, and then it becomes, they, they deliberately went down the entertainment route again. They left the sport completely. A belt in the UFC to me now, it means absolutely nothing again, you know. It didn't be before. it started for a while now it doesn't mean anything if you can let Demetrius Johnson walk away from your organisation oh. your fighting organisation you are not about sport anymore because the best sporting organisations like Barcelona Real Madrid Juventus they have the best players they have the best exponents of this and you let the guy walk get the fucking boat you know I just yeah. yeah. There's a couple of things you said there, Phil. That like first and foremost, when you associate with somebody like Graham Merrigan, you're never only going to be given one or two percent interest on any loan. They're going to hit you in the pockets every time because of his brown envelope record. The money, the money man needs to be knocking on your door. I'm telling you, man. I'm telling you, sharks a lot of them. <laughs> Secondly, Merlo, you need to learn how to hold the camera still, man. You're giving us all motion sickness. His but. head is massive as well. <laughs> Bad out. That's bad out. You have a lovely head, Graham. You do. You have a gorgeous face, and I won't it's have like that. Somebody, it looks like somebody dropped their phone down Mount Rushmore, and we're just in front of Abraham Lincoln here. <laughs> well, I can tell you, he's not known as honest Abe anyway, right? But uh, <laughs> the, the, it's it's mad, like, because what you're saying there, I, I, I mostly agree with, especially around the belts and all that. And I look at this Henry Cejudo, TJ Dillashaw fight, and in one world, I'm mad excited about it. And in another world, I'm like, are they literally just trying to now create double champions? Or, you know what I mean? This whole crossover between divisions and just create all this fucking madness and mayhem. And then the other side of me is like, one of my MMA highlights of the year was Daniel Cormier. Yep, and, absolutely. And at the same time, Part of the that, year. That, that crossed over straight into that whole WWE thing when you had Brock Lesnar in fucking cowboy boots. Honestly, honestly, I'm wearing that to be next wedding. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like an estate agent. <laughs> I, I had no problem, Brock Lesnar going into that octagon. No, no problem whatsoever. I, I absolutely loved it, but at the same time, when when a sport is trying to cling to legitimacy or or it's it's fledgling legitimacy, and you get a scene like that coming along. Like, yep. I mean, me as a pro wrestling fan, as an MMA fan, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, I love this. But all this does is bring it to the world of entertainment, not sport. But this is the thing. If we compare it with another sport now, right? Look at the Champions League in soccer, right? That is literally what they did. They turned, you know, this is as close as soccer is going to get to pro wrestling because you have the absolute biggest names in the business. What if PSV, or PSG were to play Man United every week or Juventus were to play Real Madrid in every final? That's what they've done. 
they've done Daniel Cormier against fucking Stipe or whatever fight you want to go for, you know. That's a, and they've made it every year, and people sit all the way through the winter watching it. I mean, I've said for years with the Champions League, it's a tournament that only gets interesting in May, if even that, because there's so many matches that happen that you just. Go, I mean, you know, if you th- think back of what you know, who who did City beat? Who was even in their group last year? Nobody fucking knows because nobody cares. But it's the you know the, the opium with the masses. I think was what Karl Marx called religion, you know. And that's what the Champions League is. That's what the UFC is. But the, the thing is that football has been around for a hundred and odd years, one hundred and fifty years in an organised form. The UFC has been around for twenty five. Mixed martial arts, in the way that we know it now, as fighting in an octagon or a cage, has been around for twenty five years. It doesn't have the same legitimacy. And if the UFC and everybody else has changed it, and Floyd Mayweather is pissed about saying he's going to take part in an MMA bout, and then he puts a fucking hat on and some fellas are able to give him a few slaps like it's really difficult to grow the credibility and again Dan if you write something without credibility and you send it out to media you know it's going straight in the trash can or at best or they're going to lash you at worst and now you know people are sort of turning against the UFC a little bit like I mean I see things coming up, you know. I mean, now that they're giving Jones a license, I'd say Alexander Gustafsson's car is going to be going past my gaff on the way to the airport any second now because this is on. Big payday for the lads. Can't wait to see that fight. It's going to be absolutely brilliant. Hate John Jones. Thought he never should have been let back into the sport at all. But I'm there for it. You know, I'll buy that for a dollar. No bother. But it's just, I just wish there was some sort of, um, I interviewed Mark Wayne Mullen, who's a senator. Uh, Now, Mark Wayne was a fighter himself, an amateur fighter. I can't remember if he's from Carolina or where he's from, right? Fought amateur fights, everything else like that. But he's the guy who's trying to get it through the Senate to have proper rankings in MMA. So we have proper title fights between people who deserve them, that kind of thing. Mm. Pete's head's going to explode now because I'm sure he can't stand this bloke, right? But he was saying that you need that. And then about 15 minutes after I was done with him, I was talking to, was it Lawrence Epstein as the chief legal officer of the UFC, Peter? Yes. And, and I spoke to and he was going, he's a bollocks. <laughs> don't be listening to him at all. We make the fights we want to do. We don't want anybody interfering. It, you know, well, somewhere along the line, I see what Mark Wayne Mullen is saying. I want to see people who deserve a title shot get it. I don't want to see the likes of Demetrius Johnson dropped because he won't throw a bin through the window of a bus or whatever it happens to be. But I also want to see John Jones fight Alexander Gustafsson because it's going to be a dinger. And if they can hit that sweet spot, then you're back to being a $4.3 billion company. But right now, Jesus, I don't know. Tesco. They've, cheap, they've cheapened the whole thing. Like, I mean, that, yeah. what Danny said there is in, like, the, he's right. Like, the, when Connor did that, it was special because most people, you have to be a, a special person to be even get the right to fight for a second title if you have a title. And it, it's just the proof was in the pudding when you look at them pay per view numbers. Yeah. Like, it was, what, 400,000? Uh, for Daniel Cormier and Steve Amiochi. That was the best fight they had at that time. Yeah. And, and that's what it's doing. And the only reason that's happening is because it's the same old shit again. It was the same with Joanna and Jacek last weekend. Like, oh, she's going to be the champ champ. You know, come on. This is this is tired. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it like it's like, if they keep on doing the same thing over and over again until it's completely void of any type of excitement at all, like, that's what they seem to be doing. They're just kind of clutching at straws. They seem to be thinking so short term. You know, mm. oh, we better we better do another title fight. Let let this person fight for the title. They have they have more followers on Instagram. You know what I mean? It's just I don't like the way it's going. It's all marketing, yep. isn't it? Sorry. <clears throat> it's all marketing. It's all marketing of champ champ and. Well, yeah, but the, yeah, but the thing the thing yeah, with about sport is we, we have to care, right? If you go back to the mid eighties, right, and again. <laughs> This will be sort of take a seat at my knee, lads, and I'll give you some history. Right? At the NBA, the National Basketball Association was dying on its hoop. Right? They couldn't get white people to go and watch basketball. Great point. That's a and, great point. 
<laughs> Dying on his hope, I liked it. I didn't even notice I did it. That's how the fucking Alzheimer's was kicking in, boys. It's late at night here. But the, you had Larry Bird came along out of Indiana, and you had Magic Johnson come out. And that, that sort of conflict was the sort of Cormier Jones thing of its era. And it saved the NBA because then other guys came behind that. Dominique Williams, or Dominique. Um, what was it? Oh, fucking hell, I can't, remember. I can't even remember the chap's name. But he, like, fantastic players came on, Clyde Drexler, in the wake of that, and it made the sport worth watching again. But to make people watch it, it took this conflict. These two guys at the absolute peak of their game being absolutely brilliant, and people cared. Now, the UFC can do that, but it takes work. Why do we care about Conor? Why do we care about Conor in the beginning? Because he spoke, the way he spoke, and the way he delivered on what he said, right? But Conor's a unicorn. You can't get other fighters to do that. And the other fellas doing it, you know, they just, it's not, it's not convincing in any way. We don't care about them in the same way. We care about Cormier now, and people cared about Cormier before, and now they care about him in a different way. Um, I don't know, I have a soft spot for Rose Namajunas. I think she's absolutely brilliant. I think the way she expresses herself is tremendous. I cared about her, not because I think she's this, you know, tremendous, unbeatable <laughs> champion, but because I find her interesting as a person. Now, if you just let people be who they are and pull out the best of them, then it's going to happen. You know, if you think of the best footballers we have in the world at the moment, Ronaldo and Messi couldn't be more unlike one another, and yet we care about them. You know, yeah. Mo Salah we cared about. We cared about his story. We cared about all these guys and even some of the failures as well, like Mesut Ozil, these guys. You know, we still are emotionally invested in these guys. But the UFC is too interested in making it just about the conflict. It has to be about the person behind the conflict as well, you know? And Nami Yoon is a perfect example, you know, with her mental health struggles and stuff yeah. like that. Like, she's a brilliant. And then you look at someone like Tyron Woodley, who's the best fighter in the world. They just don't seem to be able to market their champions to black audiences. You know, this guy is an absolute... He's brilliant. He's one of the best fighters as ever yeah. like, and, and he's just like every time like they try he's and, sorry he's boring I, I think he's brilliant but um, yeah, no, I'm being sarcastic oh, sorry yeah. yeah but like I mean like you see Dana White there saying last week oh well you know Tyron Woodley he never fights he fought three months ago against Darren Till a guy that had no business fighting him but you decided that's the guy he has to fight because you watched him. him yeah and he Completely. absolutely smashed him you know what I mean? Like, do, do you know what was fascinating, lad? Sorry to interrupt you, PG. What, oh, yeah. what was fascinating was with Connor with Connor's fights, right? I remember over here playing when I was still playing football actively and training two or three nights a week up until about four or five years ago. Lads were starting to talk about Connor McGregor coming up, right? And I found it fascinating that this guy from Crumlin was on the the sort of the radar of young lads here in Sweden who were 22, 23, 24, and they were absolutely in awe, right? So a lot of the lads that I would have played, I play out in the suburbs in Stockholm here, so a lot of lads would be of Muslim background, and after the Khabib thing, right? They've all turned completely anti-Connor because of putting the whiskey under Khabib's nose. Yeah. But now everything on their Facebook page is about Khabib. The, the UFC haven't pushed Khabib in any way whatsoever. Certainly not anything close to what they've done with Connor. But these guys latched onto it because they see themselves reflected in him. Again, they care about the person behind the conflict. And this happened not because of the UFC, but despite them. Like they reinstated Connor and that kind of thing after fights were pulled and everything else like that, and they did that. You know, they were they were desperate. They couldn't even put a decent fight together in Brooklyn for Khabib at the time. Aloy Akinta went in there and took him on in a fight that he had no business being in. You know, and yet these guys loved it. You know, and that's where it's at now. There are so many fighters out there that you could construct these stories around. I know the two of you, uh, Danny and Graham, that you, you love the professional wrestling. You know exactly what I'm talking about. This yeah. is not. There's nothing look, look, man, the best, here, You know, the best story of the year was Tyson Fury. Like, I mean, that yeah. was that was unbelievable for me. Like, I mean, look, at what, like, this is going to be a problem for the UFC as well. 
boxing starting to boom again. You can really feel boxing again. And to have a man from the traveling community come out and talk about his mental health, that's that's mind-blowing. Like, yeah. I, I couldn't believe every interview he did I was watching. He was saying the same thing in every interview, but it was so refreshing to hear a man from the traveling community talk that way. I was like, this is unbelievable. This is going to change people's lives. This is going to change a whole culture's view on uh, mental illness. But what's, what's but it, mad about it as well, though, is that it's not as if Fury has this clean background. You know what I mean? Mm. He, he doesn't have the... Like, he, he's a man who is on the road to... or. He certainly, I don't think he's reached redemption, but he's certainly going a long way to getting to mm-hmm. that point. The, the sentiment towards Tyson Fury at the moment is nothing but love. And when you consider some of the things he said in the past, that's astonishing. That's that shows, you forgive him. Say again? Is he to be forgiven, like for the stuff that he said? Like he's quite homophobic, and well, that, that's not for quite... me. That's not for me to say. I don't think. I think that, that that's a, a wider question. Do you know what I mean? But what what I'm saying is that he's a man who I think, at least in more recent well, interviews, do you, do you forgive him? Hmm? Do you forgive him? Like, do you do you are you on the Tyson Fury uh, Kool Aid since in the last three months, I, considering? But like he's fa- he's he failed the drugs test. He's banned for two years. Yeah, and he's everybody forgets that as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the that, drug but test. But that's that's the exact point I make, Mero. That it's not as if he has this spotlessly clean background. But yeah, if you ask me, am I sipping the Kool Aid? Right up, and and then that Deontay Taylor. That, I mean, everybody has seen it. He literally fucking sat up from the dead. Like, mm. you know what I mean? How it was can amazing. You, how it was can amazing. you not in some way root for this man? despite what he said and yeah there is an element of sipping on Kool-Aid yeah there is an element of kind of turning a blind eye to, well, to we're to looking at a man evolving aren't we we're looking at a guy evolving in front of us like exactly. I mean he like how uh, taboo is it to talk about these things in the traveling community about mental illness like I know my, one of my friends Georgina she works in the traveling community mm. these kind of things if suicides happen in, in the traveling community it's just pushed brushed under the carpet nobody mm. talks about yeah. it so there's never a real conversation about this and when people encounter it they're just told to shut shut up usually but now Tyson Fury the strongest man in the world is after yeah. coming through this that's a big deal and I know like and look we we can see like uh, the homophobic stuff that you're saying. Of course, nobody nobody wants their their athletes to be coming out and saying things like that. But that's thing that's a thing that we can only hope that he changes again. And this personal evolution, he, he definitely seems to be going through. It doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't make me sidestep it though. We, it, that is there, but I do see yeah. a man evolving in front of my eyes every time I see him. And I think but that's like, I think that's the key though. I think when people talk about him, when people write about him. That that still has to be there. That element there, and I'm, I like, I mean, to me, yeah, he evolving is the best word. I think, Pete, you, you've hit the nail on the head for me there because you can see that he he definitely seems to have made some assessments and some adjustments to his attitudes and to his opinions, and maybe that does boil down to the mental health thing. But do I? Think- I'd be more I'd be more comfortable using the word evolving when describing Tyson Fury if. Like the opportunity that he had with Joe Rogan, he had an hour and a half, two hours with Joe Rogan. Right, yeah, okay. Isn't the most of tested of interviewers, but I would be happy and more comfortable calling it the Tyson Fury evolution if he had have said and addressed his past in that uh, in that space, and he would have said, "Look, I said a lot of awful things about uh, people in the homosexual community, and I really, really apologise." I was in a dark place. Mm. I was in a bad place at the time. Um, and But this is my redemption. And I'm sorry. And I was in a dark place. Mental health took over. But watch me. And this is my redemption. That That's what I would have been more 
comfortable about, but I do, I do see where your where where your boat's coming from. And it, and it was a good opportunity to say it, right, Graham? Because he is he was talking about like the fact that it, how how his life was in turmoil and how he overcame that. It, you're right that it was a perfect opportunity to say something like that. But maybe that's still something that he's working on. But like, I think it's one of those things as well that you can turn it in a way, right? I think if I remember rightly, a traveling man is eleven times more likely to die of suicide than a settled man in Ireland, right? Now, an awful lot when we can talk about mental health and everything of that, how many of those people, uh, how many of those men are gay? Right? How many people are driven to that because of the homophobia displayed by the likes of Tyson Fury? Now, I'm not asking Tyson Fury to go and fucking lead the Pride Parade through Dublin City next year, nor do I think he'd be welcome, right? But you know, like if he's to make that journey, even just to start considering the hurt that his words cause, right? And I mean, the whole thing, another of the big subjects of this year that we haven't really touched upon yet is this whole idea of free speech and political correctness and what can you say and what can you not say, you know? And one of the things I always come back to when I'm talking to yourselves or when I'm talking to Sean Sheen is this idea of respecting other people, right? I can say what I want, but out of respect for, for yourself, Graham, or for Dan or for Petey, there, there are things I'm not going to say, right? There are things about women that I'm not going to say. There are things about gay people I'm not going to say. There's things I disagree with that I see happen in the world. I'm just not going to go there because I'm not going to I'm not going to judge other people, right? I'm not going to judge kids who are transsexual. I'm not going to judge kids who are gay or travelers who might be gay and struggling with those things. I'm not even going to get take a part in those decisions. I'm not going to sort of, you know, uh, you know, grace them with my presence if you want to put it that way. You know, I think Tyson Fury and all of us have to look at the way we say, the way we interact with others, because we're all in this head for a very short time. And not only should we make not make it hard on ourselves, but we shouldn't really make it hard on other people either, you know. And there's nobody with a perfect set of opinions either. You know, I've done things. I mean, when I think of things that I said in dressing rooms about women and probably about travelers and probably about other races and everything else like that when I was 15, 16, 17, that's I'm going to hold up my hand and say, I wasn't fucking God's best child then. Now, thankfully, a little bit like Tyson Fury, I've evolved and I've still got a long way to go, you know. But if we can all just be, be aware that we're on that journey, well, then maybe we will reach a place where we can treat people with the kind of respect that we expect to be treated with. That's yeah, fair. I'd agree. I'd agree with all of that. Um, and I think, it, and, and maybe I'm I'm prematurely skipping away from this subject, maybe. But just to jump back to to a point that you were making about Khabibville and that, like, the Muslim young lads that you were playing football with have all kind of, you know, jumped on the the Khabib train. I think, like, how and this goes back to the UFC and and maybe them being naive or stupid. I'm not sure which at the best of times. But you're talking about a Muslim world champion from Russia. And there's two markets there that you could capitalise on. And maybe it's cynical of me to look at it like this, but there's two markets there that you could capitalise on as an organisation. And if you push this guy, or if you market this guy in the right way, he's the potential to be absolutely huge. And yet, they're sitting on their hands, and it's kind of... Like, I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, they've they've missed a B here. He, he is beat. The, their their hero. He has come and taken their white knight and made him <coughs> vulnerable. Yeah. And yet, they're doing nothing with him. It's yeah, we, we had a conversation. Do you remember that PT way back? This must be about a year ago or so. Maybe not not that long ago. But we were talking about the possibility of. Do you remember when there was a stadium booked in Moscow by the UFC? Oh very, yes, very yeah. And we were going, yeah, could this be it? Could the, the UFC be putting on a pay-per-view in Europe and going, screw you, America, you're going to have to watch it at 11 o'clock in the morning. Not that that's the worst thing in the world when you think of when we watch fights, you know? And we thought that that was what they might be about to do, and it never really happened, you know? And 
there's a, such a huge constituency there, but don't underestimate how lazy these people can be either because they're getting all this for free already, right? They're selling the T-shirts and the posters and people are watching the fights and hyping Khabib and the UFC, all they have to do is book a fight, right? So they're getting this for free, basically. And the same thing in Russia. As soon as it comes out in the newspapers, like, I mean, I remember being there, lads, again, working for international media and I was going, can you get Khabib speaking Russian? You know, and of course, nobody is allowed to speak uh, any language other than English uh, other than through an interpreter at a UFC event, right? I remember a Swedish journalist here from the state broadcaster trying to interview Alexander Gustafsson after he beat Glover Tejera, I think it was. And uh, the, the UFC guys go, no, no, it has to be in English. Because I'm Swedish, he's Swedish, this is for Swedish media, fuck off, son, you know? And your mom was insistent, you know, he's going, no, you have to speak in English for everybody's benefit because it was live on Fight Pass or whatever it was. So they, they get an awful lot of it for free, like, and if they just decided to market it just a little, but it is, it's very US-centric, the whole it's thing. It's co- cookie cutter. You have to fit into the mold yeah. they have there, and if you don't do that, well, listen, mate, we're shit out of luck. You're not gonna, <laughs> it's not going to happen for you. You know, I've seen it happen to, to really interesting people. Just They just come and go, and you're like, you had something there. And they yeah. do nothing with it, like it, they, and, and it's gonna keep happening, I imagine, because um, they they haven't changed their tune in the last few years. So why would they, you know? Unless you can go out and do your own thing and market yourself, like Connor did with the Irish people, and kind of associate with them, and then of course that went over perfectly with the Americans. He built everything for them. They just had to give it a, a little push, a little nudge, and I think that's the only way they really have success, to be honest. So so Khabib's. The stallness of his uh, trajectory in Russia has nothing to do with his connection with Chechnya. Then, no. That's that's like that is very <laughs> controversial, though. Like, I mean, it, it is his manager. There's so much stuff. Like, there, like that's another reason why you could you could encounter trouble. That might be another reason why they're trying to actually. They might be trying to train him because they know that this is what's beyond. You know what I mean? If they're going to be pushing him into the mainstream press, he's going to have to answer questions like when. Phil talked to Connor. He's like, "Well, you know, explain this homosexual slur you made. You know it, that you need training for those kind of things, or else you're going to dig an even bigger hole for yourself. It looks bad on the sport. It looks bad on your culture, and it looks bad on the person themselves." Did you see the clip the other day, lads, where he was asked on an event by a woman, a woman what women should do uh, if they want to get involved in fighting, and he said, yes. uh, "Yeah, you should do your fighting in the kitchen." So a woman in a hijab asked him this question. You I know, didn't, I didn't and, see that. This is what it's, I mean. Like we're like we should push this guy, and then you're like, ah. Yeah, I regret yeah, really. saying that. I regret building that. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the thing. Like it's like okay, you know, it well is, PR one oh one is like ah here, you know. But there's still again, you know, if we go back to the Tyson Fury thing, there's a journey to be had somewhere here. Now, Khabib is a very very devout Muslim. Right? He observes Ramadan, the whole thing, the way he speaks, the Arabic words that he inter- interjects into sentences. I hear them all the time when he's speaking. I say, Alhamdulillah, and he's saying all these things that he drops in there all the time. And it, like even the beard and everything else like that is not specific to that region, but the type of beard and the type of cut that he has on his beard, it's not as lovely as Merrow's, but then very few things in this world are, right? But it is, it's a very religious style that he wears it in, you know? Uh, not the Abe Lincoln thing there that Merrow has, you know? But, um, <laughs> but that's what he's trying to put across. And there is a huge constituency for that. And it is quite misogynistic, as as it can be, you know, with Brock Lesnar. I remember being at one of the fights there, and he started talking about, you know, um, the unity. Which one was that? I can't remember which one it was, Peter. I, can't, I think we sat there together anyway. But he was talking about, you know, everybody joining together. So it must have been, what fight? Did he fight after Trump was elected at any point? Yeah, Brock Lesnar in the in the UFC. No, it was his last his last fight was Mark Hunt, and that was Mark what, Hunt two hundred two, two UFC two hundred. Yeah, two and a half years. Yeah, ago. okay. Well, there was something around that time that was very divisive that was going on, and Brock was sort of you know calling everybody to the American flag basically, even though he was living in Canada. Was it the Las Vegas shootings or something? 
No, it could no, have been, right? No. Anyhow, I just remember him doing that. I remember thinking that, you know, and that, that's a, a sort of a slick, a polished PR operator right there. Khabib is not that. When I sat down with Connor this time a year ago and the, the film was coming out a little more than a year ago, and I asked him straight out about the homophobic thing. I said, what the fuck is all this about? And he was looking, there's no manual for this. Like, you know, at the time he was 28 or 29, he said, I have a son myself. I'm just growing up into this thing. I'm learning these things that go along. And I realize now that it was wrong, you know? And uh, like that was the thing. I was sitting there going, okay, can we pause the interview there so I can put this out on the Reuters news word straight away, you know? because it was a big story at the time. Now, Khabib, is he going to reach the same conclusions? I don't know. I don't know if he's hanging around with his dad and the usual bunch of sparring partners, I would doubt it, you know. But it, it is there, you know. Like, I mean, the opportunity for growth is there. Khabib may never be the big hero in, in Iowa, you know, or in these sort of, you know, wrestling backwaters in America. He may never be the huge hero that he could be there. But certainly all across the Caucasus, all across Russia, Russia's massive, all across the Middle East, all across Asia, he could be absolutely huge. And that's, that's the potential that they have there but like I say don't underestimate the laziness of the UFC they'll just take whatever he gives them and that's that you know sorry lads I'm distracted here because of a dog that looks like they're about to attack the Christmas tree <laughs> my, my dog's <laughs> freaking out outside the door here. There. I'm, I'm, very, I'm very paranoid about this situation if I'm being honest <laughs> he's just going to go mad for it <laughs> I'm telling you it's, it's a lovely Christmas tree I, I'm oh sorry. thanks yeah Ric Flair tops it funnily enough just that <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was told you've uh, Ric Flair documentary lads yeah, brilliant, brilliant, absolutely yeah. brilliant. I haven't actually seen it yet. It's on one of those. I must watch that over Christmas along with 500 other things I haven't seen yet this it's, year. No? It's, it's classic ESPN 30 for 30. They, they just yeah, don't is, do yeah. them bad. Like, do you know what I mean? It's just, I could sit there and if, if you told me the only thing you can ever watch again is the ESPN 30 for 30s all the way through and back. You'd be I, good with that. Oh, man. Listen, that what was the one? The Jim Volvano. I can't remember what the, the title of the, the, actual, uh, the actual documentary was. But it was the, I think it was the North Carolina University or something, the, the Wolfpack they were called. And it was this one guy who fucking united the entire university behind this basketball team, led them to their first state championship and on. And then Brilliant. his personal story, he gets diagnosed with cancer. And oh my God, by the end of it, I was a ball of tears. I was blowing hey, brilliant. They're all brilliant. Oh yeah. my They're God, all- man. Unbelievable. The HBO Andre the Giant one was amazing as well. It was very good. Yeah, I heard that actually. I, I heard I, that here somewhere. I'm going to be controversial here. I didn't think that was as good as people said it was going to be. I thought Ric Flair was way better. Mm. The thing that would annoy me about Andre the Giant one, everybody could sum it up in a few paragraphs when they were talking about it. Oh, he was really big. He's an alcoholic. Very sad. Very, very sad. And <laughs> that was like just, it was drawn out like that when you're watching it. And you're like, yeah, it fucking is sad. Yeah, he is an alcoholic. And then that's the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, but he was strong. He was really strong. You don't know how yeah. strong this guy was. Did I mention how big he was? <laughs> yeah. And I was you like, just ruined it now, BT. Yeah, you ruined it like, now. No, no, but I wanted because everybody was telling me, all my American colleagues, like, it's going to change your life. Like, and I was like, well, Jesus Christ, I think there's more to the fella than he's uh, really strong. Um, and he's, you know, like, that, that was, and he's an alcoholic. That's what I was getting from it. Like, but uh, Ric Flair was very good. <laughs> 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 well, Peachy just ruined Christmas. That's that. Yeah, sorry, that's I'm sorry, lad. <laughs> I was just very disappointed with that one. I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe I'd have to watch it again. But I can remember I said it to someone who was a wrestling fan, and they were like, "Did you watch the Andre the Giant one?" And I said, "Yeah, I did." And to be honest, I'm a bit disappointed. And I was getting ready for the blowback, and he was like, "I'm glad you said that because I was a bit disappointed with it as well." And I was like, "Well, there we go." There yes. you go. <laughs> 
it's a hard thing to do though you know to, to sort of pace a documentary over the space of an hour or an hour and a half and the great thing about ESPN is they put huge budgets behind this thing and they go and they buy the footage and that kind of thing as well you know did you watch that um, Cares Kids documentary that was on Airsport about the Irish U teams that were winning all round them in the late 90s and what happens with those kinds of things I was talking to a guy what the hell is the name of it? It's Rise and Shine is the name of a documentary about a guy called Jay Demerit, right? An American who basically wanted to be a professional soccer player. So he moved over with an English bloke and lived with your man's ma somewhere in London, right? And ended up playing for a pub team. And they played against, I think it was against Reading. Um, and they brought him in, like, you know, this guy played over skin. He was a centre-back. And he ended up playing at the 2010 World Cup. It was just an amazing thing, right? But I remember the director telling me at one point that uh, they wanted to show him playing at the World Cup and FIFA took millions of them just for a few seconds of footage of your man playing at the World Cup because obviously you need a sequence you need 10 or 12 seconds of it and FIFA's like oh yeah that'll be 40 grand go but you fuck off out of that you know and this is independently made it's a great film Rise and Shine the Jay Demerit story so it's worth watching but you know if you get somebody like ESPN they either own the rights to a lot of American sports already or they've got so much fucking money now you know despite Ariel Hawani's pay packet they've so much money that they can go and they can buy these things and, and just do a brilliant job and anyway because otherwise it's really really hard to, to pace it and, and then you also need to tell the story there's no point in just sort of showing you how big Andre the Giant was you know you need again you need to get at the person behind it why was he an alcoholic why was he so big you know this gigantism that he suffered from and all that kind of stuff was fascinating how did that affect his relationships and that kind of thing because well, he's a fascinating bloke you know yeah, I mean he's just yeah. he turned up in some film we were watching there with the kids the other day and it was like you know an hour and a half discussion about Andre the Giant you know my wife was sitting there with a jaw on the floor going how do you remember all this shit you know? <laughs> that was the one he was saying he couldn't pick up the woman like he was he's, uh, so he's like seven foot so yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I did watch it I did watch it <laughs> <laughs> the princess stories that was <laughs> One of my faves, yeah, that's right. That's it. And, um, and uh, what about the World Cup in VAR? In, in VAR? Oh, yeah. No, the, the, oh, the, oh, the oh, goal line technology. Fucking yeah. video assistant referee. I, like, I, I was it's going to be everywhere next year, in the Champions League and everything. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good idea. Like, I kind of got stuck in a World Cup bubble and I still haven't seen a lot of the stuff that happens because sometimes when you're at an event, and this has happened, I'm sure this happened to PC as well, like, you know, sometimes you're at an event and everybody watching on the telly has one understanding of the whole thing and people who are there have a completely different picture of what the fuck went on, you know? And I was in the, I was in Sochi with the, mostly with the Swedish and Icelandic teams because they were uh, 250 kilometers up the coast and I was driving down to Sochi for the game. So the first game I did was Portugal against Spain. It's like one of the most men games of football I've ever seen and then Ronaldo equalises with a free kick with sort of four minutes to go and that kind of thing I thought the VAR thing was a good idea it didn't sort of put you off too much there's, there's a lack of spontaneity there it's kind of like mm. you know the, sta- the standing count when you know a guy's knocked out you know you t- he's not coming back from this and the ref's just count just wave the fucking thing off and get on with it you know so that, that's a little bit disappointing you know but in a way when you think about the hand of God I was there in 2009 in the Stade de France when Thierry Henry took the ball with his hand like you know and I, I saw think. from where I was sitting 150 yards away and the linesman the, the referee that night was a Swedish guy called Martin Hansen and the linesman was a guy called Stefan Wittbay and Stefan Wittbay was the chief fire officer at my local fucking fire station and we've had this out so many times because I got to know him afterwards he actually <laughs> threw in the ball he threw in the ball at the first game of Gaelic football ever played in the Swedish capital of Stockholm right and he said to me before the game am I going to get battered here <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was our little peace process with the Swedish fucking referee I still haven't forgiven the course. sorry but, uh, but that was the way, you know, like, I mean, the, the, but the thing in Russia, like, I thought the World Cup in Russia was brilliant. I thought the people were brilliant. Some of the football was brilliant. I heard just actually talking to Paul Howard the other day, mm. and Paul was going, nah, it wasn't a great World Cup. It was, in a way, it was, you know, Saudi oh, Arabia. 
Nigeria, uh, Egypt, even just getting there at all was brilliant. Australia, Tim Cowell. Sorry? Do you watch much of it? I, I haven't watched football in ages, but I watched the whole World Cup. I nearly watched every single game of it. I was so starved of football. I watched one game and then I was just hooked again. And then I stopped watching football again immediately after. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how you can do that. I went through a phase of absolutely <laughs> hating football and the World Cup made me just start to go... Me and you were the same, yeah. yeah we were just like, this is savage. I was loving every match and I was loving that Russia got fair and I don't care how drugged up they were. I it backed was amazing. Them. I backed them because I watched Icarus locked the night before it started. <laughs> you, you backed them and because I, you were their fucking goalkeeper. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> absolute I, 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 ringer for them. Do, do you know with Icarus, right, where they talk about the building where they drill the hole in the wall and they take out the urine samples, that kind of yeah. thing. That is right beside the stadium in Sochi. And I was sitting there having me dinner when I realised, because I was at that fucking Winter Olympics as well. I was going, this is it. This is where they robbed the piss, lads. And they're all going, <laughs> this is where they robbed the piss. This I have been drinking That's for years. That's going on a and T-shirt. Lads... That's going on a T-shirt, Phil. This is where they. <laughs> this is where they rob the pizzas. And not only that, they do a lovely salmon burger there now. I don't know if that has, that has anything to do with the ingredients or what. That you is know? <laughs> amazing. On a complete side now, I think I'd love to go to Sochi. I watched that Winter Olympics. I, the World Cup made it look deadly, and I watched the Formula One there every year. And I think I actually want to go to Sochi. It looks deadly. It's brilliant, but that place is actually, the place where that all is, it's a, it's a region called Adler. It's just outside the town, right? And uh, you have the Formula One track was right outside my hotel room window. So every time I opened the window, there it was. And then they have a huge tennis center. This is where all the skating and everything else was mm. done during the World Cup. But I was talking to, like, it was obviously it was there in 2014, then I'm back there in 2018. And I went into the hotel, which was built solely for the World Cup. And I went, does it get very busy here? And your mom was, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> But even while the matches were on there, like the day before the match, all the, the supporters would come in from whatever country, right? They'd be on the gargle in the hotel bar, four o'clock in the morning, locked out our skulls. The day after the match, gone. And the only person sitting there was Dion Dublin and somebody from fucking talk radio, you know? Three blokes sitting there when they come in and go, oh yeah, there must be a match. But when I, I drove up to the Swedish camp, right? It was 250 kilometers, which should take you, you know, a couple of hours to drive, you know. It, it took five hours to get there and back every single time, right? Mostly because the roads are shit and Russian people cannot drive, right? So it was like a demolition derby, the whole road up there, four or five accents. And you look at any car, like, you know, and, and, like the front wing of every car is missing because they drive into each other and that kind of thing, you know. So one day I was driving back down. I can't remember what game it was for. I think it might have been Australia, Peru or something ridiculous. I didn't even want to go to it, you know. It's that bad a game at the World Cup. You don't even want to see it. You know, and I drove back, and they put this sort of ring of steel around the place because this place in Sochi is like that. There's literally checkpoints going in and out. You know, when we were there for the for the Winter Olympics, they would check under the buses for bombs and all this kind of crack. They thought there was going to be some sort of terrorist attack, and they they threw down the ring of steel, and I literally had to park the car on the the side of the road and walk the last couple of miles. And like you know, I parked it actually within sight of the hotel, and I I hoped to God the car was going to be there when I got back, you know. But it's an amazing place, and more so than that, when you go up to where the skiing is held and that kind of thing, and you have these guys making the local equivalent to putching up in some shack and that kind of, it's mad, lads. It's absolutely. Mad. I, 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 there was a there were they did the first ever uh, Russian UFC event uh, in September. After that, and uh, I was talking to Ken early, and I was like, "So what's it like? Should I go?" I rang Phil as well. I was like, so tell me all about it. Should I go? Feels like you should definitely go. This is what journalism is all about, Peter. You need to go around the world, see all these things. Oh, that sounds really good, actually, Phil. I'll just ring Ken real quick and see what he has to say. <laughs> Ken, how's it going? It's Petey. Uh, how was, how was uh, Russia? Oh, yeah. 
um, make sure you get this off for taxis because if you don't, they'll just pull up, rob you, and leave you on the side <laughs> of the street. <laughs> so it's like, all right, not going to Russia. Thanks very much for that. Ken, Ken is not here to defend himself, right? But he's the unluckiest traveler I've ever come across. We, we were at the World Cup in Brazil in 2014, right? And Ken does this thing of, like, he goes around all the different games, that kind of thing. I was in one city on the northern coast of Brazil called Recife, right? The first story I did about the whole thing was the amount of sharks that were in the water just off that beach there, you know? But uh, Ken says to me, good news, I'm coming up to Recife. You know, I thought, fucking deadly. He's going to be here for my birthday. We'll have to crack, you know? So uh, he's arriving into town, and I said, you want me to come to the airport and collect you? You know, I'll bring you to your Airbnb and that kind of thing. Go, no, no, I'll be grand. I'm sitting at the hotel. He was supposed to meet me at the hotel at 6 o'clock. We're going for a bite to eat. Six o'clock, not there. Half six, not there. Seven o'clock, not there. And I'm ringing, there's no answer. Anything else like that. And the next thing, at about quarter to nine, he arrives into the hotel. Right? What happened? Oh, I was robbed. <laughs> so, so he'd gone to meet. He'd gone to meet whoever was uh, was uh, doing the Airbnb thing, and he literally put his bag down. And you know, like took out. Oh, he went for a fag, and he put his bag down. And he just took his eye off her for one second, and fucking everything was gone. Right, he's just robbed, uh, like completely blind at the time. And uh, but then you know I did, I felt sorry for him for a while, but then he spent the entire night in my birthday talking to another mate of mine who supports Liverpool about Liverpool, and I got up at about midnight. And lads, if you're going to keep talking about Liverpool, I'm just going to go home. And I went, yeah, oh, good luck, so. <laughs> That's like every time I've ever met Ken Early, to be honest. He's always talking to someone about Liverpool. Uh, but no, Ken is an absolutely brilliant bloke. And I mean, it's lovely. It's fantastic hair. To get back yeah. to what, what I said to PT was, you know, go, if you have the chance, go see these things, travel the world and that kind of thing. But for fuck's sake, keep your eye on your bag and stay away from Ken when he's talking about Liverpool. <laughs> he, loses, he loses the odd bike in Dublin as well. Oh, God, yeah. That's a brilliant thing in the second captain's when he yeah. lost the bike. Yeah. But it's like, but he was also part of them. Um, the game he was there to cover was Germany against the USA. And I think that game was on a Friday. And I don't know if you remember back that far, uh, Mero, you watched a lot, lot more soccer than the other two lads, but there was a biblical downpour that day, right? Yeah. And I got up and I rang Ken. He was after getting a new phone, a new computer and everything else like that. And I rang him up and I said, Ken, we're leaving the hotel. The game was due to kick off at one o'clock local time, which would have been about 10 o'clock here in Europe or whatever. I said, we're leaving. We're going to take the car. We're not going to take the media bus, right? Because the rain is so bad. We want to be sure we can get there ourselves. So he came over to the hotel, me, him and a guy called Tony Davis. And we set off in the Ford Fiesta and the place was flooded, right? Not my car, lads. I don't give a shit. So I, <laughs> I was driving through fucking swimming pools full of water, right? And the one thing we were told in Brazil was, whatever you do, do not go into the favelas, right? Do not go into the favelas because you'll be killed and everything belongs to you stolen, right? Now, here's Ken Early in the back season of a fucking fiesta, right? His knees up around his ears. And he's going, what are you going to do? You know, because there's this big pool of water in front of us and the traffic has stopped. And off to my right, there's a favela with fellas standing on the roof, you know? And I go, yeah, spotters, this is great. I've been, I've been to Blanchestown. I know what like, you know? <laughs> So, so I took a right and I drove into this favela, right? And there's these lads waving and what they want is they want you to drive through a big pool of water. They'll push your car out and you give them money. And I was going, fuck off, lads. I'm doing this by myself in this tiny little Ford Fiesta, right? Tearing through the thing. And by the time we got to the end of the favelas, not only were they not threatening us anymore, they were standing there applauding us in this shitty little fucking car, right? <laughs> So, so eventually we got to the stadium at 10 to 1, 10 minutes before kickoff, and he's ringing the Irish Times saying, I don't know if I'll be able to file, and we're ringing the Reuters news desk and go, look, we'll get there, but we just we don't know how. And we walked up the steps and into the press box, and we were the only three print journalists in the whole fucking place, because everybody else was stuck on the bus about 10 miles away, you know? No way. 
That was just a horrendous day. But as I say, like, it, it, actually, that's a great idea. Go travel the world with Ken because, boy, Jesus, you'll come home with some fucking memories out of it. We, I, I brought him lion dancing in Las Vegas. That's uh, <laughs> Oh, my God, I love this story. The, the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Uh, we all went there, all the Irish convoy, and um, all the lads have been there early because they were kind of, they were staying around with Connor and they were like, uh, Peter, this is lion dancing bar. And we saw, we thought you'd have some great crack in there. I go every single time I'm there, but... Me, Paul Dollery, and Ken went in, and uh, I was wearing my usual clobber. I was wearing a pair of Converse and a, a pair of tight jeans, show off my lovely uh, curves. And uh, some fellow with a cowboy hat goes, he goes, you ain't going to get no woman in here dressed like a queer. <laughs> and from then on, it was the best night ever, because me and Paul Dollery acted like we're a homosexual couple. And... There was not a Democrat in sight, let me tell you that much. Oh, <laughs> we're on the dance floor, tremendous. like, taking our tops off with everyone doing line dancing and stuff. They dragged us over in the end, but Jesus Christ, it, it was a fantastic oh, time. But now, now is probably the wrong time to tell Peachy that Nevada is a concealed carry state, so they're probably yeah, all armed with their fucking yeah. teeth as well, you know? It, it was guns at the door kind of place, you know what I mean? <laughs> the, first time, the first time we had Ken early on the podcast, he agreed to come on the podcast if he met a certain list of demands. And those demands were four cans of Carapache. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when, when we first started the podcast, we used to record in uh, Lindsay Doyle, who used to be on the podcast with us, her gym after hours. And it was in a big industrial estate. <laughs> oh, yeah, I meant to pick him up. Oh, my God. Yeah, but to remember what happened like afterwards yeah. then, so he's trying to walk through this industrial state that has potholes and all the pitch black, and he fucking falls and takes the knee out of him. Oh, Jesus Christ, I'll wait. Was that the first and last time he was on the podcast, yeah? Oh, he done a live show with us afterwards, so like... Yeah, incredible. God, I'll wait. I know Ken's a fantastic bloke. He's a brilliant writer for the oh, Irish Times. stop. Yeah, no, he's, he's brilliant. He's, definitely, he's, he's one of the best, yeah, he's one of the best. He's I'd love to have something like that for MMA, like on a weekly basis, like it would be brilliant. The way, the way he just manages to put his finger on exactly what happened in football. I just think it's unbelievable. Like, I don't even watch football and read his column. It's just so, it makes me kind of feel like I'm up to date. You know what I mean? Well, I'm I'm amazed that he still has the patience to do it because if you think the amount of games that he's seen and the amount of shit that he's seen, you know, like, Reuters had a lot of that stuff that uh, the the footy leagues thing that came out recently Mm. with all sorts of different things. I remember, look, now, to be honest, lads, the only thing I care about now is I care about local soccer here where I live and the Irish national team again, you know, a little bit. You care about the Irish national team? I do, would you believe, yeah. Like, I mean, it's the only thing I take seriously. The rest of the the rest of it to me is just a circus. It's just the UFC with a ball, you know. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it, it literally is. I mean, there's so much that sort of you know, so much money. And you know, I, I was uh, a, fr- a friend of mine who works for Reuters in France has been off sick for the last couple of months, so we cover French football, and it's just uh, my soul is dead from doing it because you're just watching PSG win every poxy week, and I think, what can I write about this nonsense anymore? You know, and even with Man City and that kind of thing, I'd love to see Liverpool win the league now in England just because they're making interesting and it would piss so many people off you know but other than that I find it really hard to get excited about, about football the way I used to because in the 80s and the 90s when I was writing about it I, I used to think it was the best thing since sliced bread I wouldn't even watch anything else a lot of time. I stopped going to boxing in the National Stadium because you know you'd be watching the League of Ireland when it, it switched to Friday nights and this kind of thing you know it's mad altogether you know I just, I just don't get the same sense of I used to feel something inside me when I watched Ireland playing like and yeah. that's being honest like I, I just don't get it anymore when I'm playing it feels like it's a chore feels like I'm, I'm uh, I don't know, I just don't feel the connection I used to feel with the, the national teams over the years. Like, I've been a huge Ireland fan back in the day, but 
I just can't. Uh, I don't know. I just can't get it into me anymore. Maybe it's maybe it's the fact that I'm covering a sport for a living, and I just don't want to waste any more time watching sport. But well, dude, I don't know. To be honest, I, I was the same. Like, and I, I'm very sort of stoic. I'm very passive when I'm sitting there. I do the work, and that's it. Like, even when Connor's fighting or whatever, I just do the work, you know. And another fucking night that Ken Early was there was the night that Robbie Brady scored against Italy. Do you remember that night in the mm. European Championships? And I'm there, and we, I was based in Lille, and that match was in Lens, I think. So the 40 kilometer drive there, and I had to work my backside off, and I was mostly on my own working between those two cities, you know. And the next thing, this is there, and I'd like, I just wanted them to qualify, not for the team, or not for the players, or not, but for the people. I wanted the people of Ireland to have something to be happy about, you know. Mm. I sit there, and like I say, I don't get excited at all ever when these things happen. Then Wes Hooligan comes on, and Wes has that near miss just before the goal. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, this is fucking typical. We could have gone through, Italy don't care, they have a B team out the whole thing, you know. And then I was sitting with two guys from Reuters who were there as well, and they didn't know a whole lot about football, that kind of thing, you know. And the next thing, Wes crosses the ball, and Robbie Brady heads the ball into the back of the net and I'm sitting there going who's that fucking Egypt screaming and it was me <laughs> and, I literally, and I looked down at my own left hand lads and I clenched a fist and I was there going fucking yes and then it was over and because that was all I wanted ever. I looked around again and he was sitting behind me and he had kind of the same yes this is grand you know he, because we do switch off a lot from it it does become like a job a lot of the time I mean if I want to see a football match I cared about I'll go up the end of the street here when one of the local teams is playing and some of the lads that you've been playing football with pick up football in the hall with for years are playing because I cared about them in a way that I just cannot care about you know Ronaldo or, or Messi or any of that anymore you know so mm. that's the meaningful thing but when fellas like the Irish rugby team go out or the Irish soccer yeah. team and they represented me that's a different thing you know that's a different kettle of fish entirely and it was great to see the rugby team beating the All Blacks and really becoming a world power now I mean they'll probably still blow on the World Cup next year but that's uh, beside the point but we have something something positive to live on and to enjoy (laughs) I I don't even know the rules of rugby like and I find myself watching the rugby team going this is great these are bleeding great I mean I don't I don't know anything about it it just it just feels like maybe I'm a glory hunter is that what this is (laughs) am I just discovering it's not it's not it's not that PC. it's that you're mature and you're seeing sense in your old age man. That's, you're, you're recognizing, you're recognizing I much prefer like uh like i spent more of my life watching soccer and playing soccer and i never had any interest in rugby so maybe it is just the fact that i need need some victories coming my way <laughs> to get excited about well, that's, you know, i don't know what it is I, I'm a convert as well, like, do you know what I mean? And I've moved over to the Protestantism now recently enough in terms of <laughs> the, the history of sport, like, do you know what I mean? But I would I would take egg chasing over fucking soccer any day of the week. And I, I also, but, like, at the same time, right, uh, like, I say I'm glory hunter, but I actually, I, I can't watch Dublin anymore because it's not competitive. Yeah. Like, right. I, say, like I, I don't, I used to go to all the Dublin games and I used to do all that, but now I feel like I'm wasting my money because, mm. like, these guys are just going to steam everybody, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't yeah, yeah. feel like it's, 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 uh, it's competitive. At the, at the Maymac fight last year in Las Vegas, Paul Kimmage was over doing stuff for the Sunday Independent, and I was over there, and I hadn't seen Paul for a long time. I'd been talking to him, sort of, you know, on text message or Twitter or whatever. And I met him there, and it was great to sort of sit down and have a little bit of chat with him and that kind of thing. And he's wandering around wearing a, a, a T-shirt from, I think it was a polo shirt he had from some Ryder Cup or something like that. He's just such a lovely man, a fascinating man, you know. And I went off and got a coffee, and I came back, and we're still talking about work and family and everything else like that. And then Dublin were playing... What is it? Dublin were playing Mayo or Dublin were playing some All Ireland semi final or something like that because it's in August, yeah. So it would have been the semi final they were playing. And Paul was saying to me, Oh, is there any bar you can watch it? Yeah, you can watch a rerun the Mandalay Bay Hotel at half seven in the morning or whatever. I might go over with you. I said, oh, I'd like to see Mayo win it this year. I went, What did you just say? They went, oh, well, I'd be happy enough to see Mayo win it this year. Well, 
Paul, what the fuck are you saying here, right? Because I remember like the late 70s and early 80s. I remember all those years when Dublin were winning nothing. And not once did any Kerry man ever say to me or any Mayo man ever say to me, oh, I'd love to see Dublin win it. I think it's their turn. Fuck that. If we're winning for another 20 years, it won't be enough for me. I won't have an ounce of sympathy for any of the rest of them either, you know? I completely agree with you, which is why any time I hear a supposed Leinster fan saying they hope Munster do well, they need to get on the M7 and fuck off the cork. There's plenty of room for them down there. Yeah, exactly, that's the thing. Exactly. Like, I, yeah, we have I, I said one, Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Peter. I'm talking too much anyway. I said, I said uh, just there on Facebook a couple of years ago, I was like, you know, if we don't win it, like, you know, I would actually be happy to see Mayo win it. And I got fucked out of it. Like my, friend, my friend's dads were getting on to me. Fuck you, Carol. You're a fucking dickhead. You're a bleeding bugger. And I was like, Jesus Christ. I said, if we don't win it, that if you wasn't were, even good. If you were sitting beside me now, I'd fucking choke you for saying that, even though you said it years ago. God, oh. But actually, when they won in, was it 2013, they won the first one. I can't remember when it was. Well, uh, no. It was, a, it was a good few years ago anyway, right? I mean, the, the years are all rolling into one. When you're as old as me here, they don't fucking matter anymore anyway. They're just numbers, right? But I actually went in. Uh, Dublin and play Kildare in the Leinster Championship. And, you know, we have a Gaelic football club here. We used to meet on a Sunday afternoon. We watched the games, right? And I was watching it, and somebody said something. And I turned around. I was something to do with Cluxton's kickouts. I turned around, and I read him the fucking riot act, right? My wife and kids are sitting beside me, right? I know this man well. This man has been in my house eating his dinner the whole lot. <laughs> And he's from Dublin, right? <laughs> so I, I read on the Riot Act and then I, I went, okay, that's it now. I can't watch matches in pubs anymore because I'm just not a nice person when that happens, right? So on the day of the All-Ireland Finals, the same thing. All the lads, come on in. We'll watch it together. And I went into the door of the Dubliner pub here in central Stockholm and I turned on my heel and I went home because I couldn't trust myself to fucking behave myself in front of the television. And <laughs> back when Pat Gilroy was managing the team, and I watched that at home, and I made a show of myself in front of my own television and in front of my own children and everything else like that, right? But at least nobody related to me had to suffer watching that fucking show that I made of myself. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's before you go, right? Um, is there any predictions for next year? Any sporting or otherwise predictions for 2019? I predict you'll be impeached. 100%. <laughs> Muller is on the trail of Mero that's, that's <laughs> going to happen 100% and we're going to have somebody else Petey's going to be presenting uh, the What's the Story podcast along with Danny and Mero's name will never be mentioned again he'll be written out of history exactly I'm alright with that I'm alright with that you I'm tell right. me lads I have one for you you okay. tell me is Brock Lesnar in the UFC next year yes yes but did he not just sign a contract and it's they don't think he's going to be coming over or something Vince McMahon is the best businessman in the world uh, Danny, you're the rugby expert here. We don't have Noel McGrath from OffTheBall.com with us. Will yeah. Ireland win the Rugby World Cup next year? Yes or no? Do you know what? Fuck it. Yes. Good man yourself. In Joe, we trust. I, I'm trying to get a gig going over to Japan to cover that. You know, so uh, if I yeah. if I do, I'll wave. I promise. I'll tell you what. I'll do for you, lads. I'm actually going to Tokyo in March with Elaine. I can come on and give you like things to watch out for in Tokyo <laughs> if you're going as a rugby do fan. It. I, I'm going to give I'm going to give Elaine a list of things to watch out for in Tokyo, and the main one at the top is PC fucking Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to go that. It looks absolutely bananas. Yeah, so you can give me some tips and things to do. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Absolutely, it was amazing. Only if, you're inter- only if you're interested in the ganglands and the fucking the bribery that goes on in the back. Yeah, what the hell were you doing? Up? What were you doing over there, Graham? Selling arms or something? <laughs> I'll tell you later. I'll tell you off air. <laughs> um, yeah, no. I, look, 
we we probably won't win the World Cup, but I'm I'm high on optimism, lads, and I'd 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 take a, I would take a heroic defeat in the semi final, but I reckon we'll go to the final. Will Ireland, the football team, win a football match, uh, Graham? Next they won't year, they even score a fucking goal, PT. Yes, they will. The the Renaissance will occur from March. <laughs> oh my God! In Mick, we trust. I'll be watching it in Tokyo. Whoop. I, I find the whole appointment crazy, but I'm of course going to get behind the team. It's one of those things that, like you know, after a while, you just go, "It is what it is," and you just you have to watch it. You have to sort of get behind the team and that kind of thing. You know, I remember this. This has happened so many times in my lifetime. You know, like going back to Jack Charlton and this kind of thing. And you just go, "I'm just too old for this shit now." You know, but uh, you would hope that you know at least if they go out there, um, the current manager at Denmark is a guy called Olga Horaida, who I've known since he was managing Malmo in the Champions Sorry, League. Phil, right, Phil, Phil, will you just say that once more, please? His name is Olga Horaida, right? Beautiful. Olga Horaida. Yeah, come on. And, uh, <laughs> I, I do this thing at the end of every year. I ring up the managers and I ask them, like of Sweden, Denmark, and Norway, and I ask them how the year has gone and that kind of thing, like you know. And August either brilliant or he's brutal, you know. He either wants to talk to you or he doesn't, you know. And when he when he <laughs> wants to talk to you, he's he's the greatest, warmest man in the world, right? The other day he was in a hoodie. I think it was Christmas shopping being done. <laughs> But when he came into Denmark, he replaced a sort of a purist in Morten Olsen. Morten Olsen always wanted the ball played along the deck, you know, like Dutch style, 4 3 3, that kind of thing. And Olga Horreider went in there with, fuck you, lads, knock it long. <laughs> and, and, and that was basically, you know, just get the ball up the pitch, right? You can do what you want when you get up there. That's, I'm not going to fucking interfere with that. And then they started doing it, and all of a sudden, they haven't lost a competitive game for nearly two years, and they thrashed Ireland 5 1, you know. So if, if Mick McCarthy can sort of reinstill that sort of sense of pragmatism and sense of pride in the lads, because I think Martin O'Neill was a lovely man and that kind of thing and Roy Keane probably isn't but you know to reinstill that sense of pride I think Martin was just tired of the whole thing you know I think he probably would have gone after the, the Euros if he'd been a lech you know or after the World Cup qualifiers I mean but just get in there and give us something to look forward to again because this is it it is it's Christmas the new year is coming and we need to have a few things to look forward to you know I just want to win the Eurovision come was, on Ireland I was literally about to say fuck Brexit I think England and Britain are going to take home the Eurovision next year PT. Well, the oh Eurovision is going to be the Eurovision is going to be in Israel next year, so there's going to be nobody there. I think the whole world is going to boycott that. Like so, ah, proper yeah, order as well. Oh, no, I've already booked me flights. Are you there, Danny? Wait, man. Merrill will lend you Union Jack. Where are you going? I got the Georgia and Switzerland for the double header. Hey, yeah. Oh fucking hell, that'd be brilliant. Switzerland is brilliant. Where's the game on? Is it in Bern? Is it? Uh, Geneva, I think. It's in Geneva. Geneva's tremendous, man. You, you need look- to start blogging at these things, Graham, yeah, for man. fuck's sake. It'd be a bit of cra- <laughs> Make me want to go again. You might actually say, like, look, there are people here. <laughs> people do like this team. That's it. It's all about collecting experiences and having a crack, especially away with your supporters. It's just absolutely brilliant crackling. Like, were you in Estonia the night they beat Estonia in the World Cup? Or was it the European Championships 2012? Oh. Yeah, Casual. I, 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 that was the day I moved house, right? Now, I'm going to have to say this quietly because the wife is upstairs asleep, right? But the day I moved house was the day Ireland played Estonia, right? And I, I had to go to work, so I fucked off over to Estonia. But the following morning after the match, was the match on a Friday night? I think it might have been, right? It was, yeah. Yeah, the match on a Friday night. So I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning in central Tallinn, in Estonia, right? And I came down and it was like the last days of the Roman Empire out on the street. There was just paddies everywhere, right? It's November. It's pretty chilly gargled out of their skulls, right? And this guy came up to me and he was holding two pints of Estonian Saku Lager, right? And he goes, eh, you haven't seen my mate by any chance, have you? And I went, no, man, I don't think I have. And he said, oh, deadly, I can have his point then. <laughs> <laughs> and he wandered off down the street as I headed to the airport to go back and finish moving out. But it's just, it's just brilliant crack with the Irish fans away. They're just, there's nobody ah, better, this, you know? This, 
It is, it is. Lads, thank you very much for your time. I have thoroughly enjoyed this evening. Um, I, 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 hope, I hope we get you back on again as a duo because, to be honest with you, it's the best crack I've had in a while. So thank you for that. We might have to buy Sean Sheen on to the next one. Jesus. Oh no way! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> first, first we have to deal with the, how little crack Danny is having in his regular everyday life, lads. Because if this is the most crack he's had in a long time, there's problems here, you know. Yeah, I'm living in Port Leash, but that's another fucking story. Exactly, it's been a pleasure true. and a privilege to be asked to come on the podcast at all, lads. You're absolutely brilliant. And like I was tweeting you the other day saying how much I was enjoying listening to some, to the Paul Howard podcast and I was listening to you and McKenna the other day. He's are doing brilliant work, so keep oh, it up there. Pete you a little bit less so, you know, you can improve yourself, you know. What are you saying, Pete? I only finished the latest Russell Carroll Kelly. Usually I read it in two days. Whatever happened this year, it was it took me ages to read the whole thing. I don't know what's wrong with me. It was brilliant. You weren't following the rules with your finger, Pete. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Start again. <laughs> How did yeah. you do it every year, though? He is actually, if anybody's looking for inspiration, Paul is just incredible in the way he just, you know, musicals and books and articles. I love love when he writes, I used to do anyway, I don't know if it was in the new one, he used to write like about Paul Howard as Russell Carroll Kelly on the inside of the book. It was awesome, brilliant. I love them. Me me and me dad like race each other to finish them every year and we'd be like ringing each other. Don't, no, haven't, no, what? You know what I mean? Don't go there. Uh, when Peachy says he reads the book, it's, it's actually Elaine reason when she's putting him to bed every night. You know? So that's why it took a little bit longer. She's been very busy this year. And on that note, Danny. That's it. Yeah, uh, well, no, hang on. Because I have to get the plugs in as well. Peachy, your podcast is? Eurobash on MMAfighting.com. Amazing. And Phil, if people want to get more of your insights and just incredible brain power. <laughs> then I, su- I suggest that they seek mental help for their problems. But otherwise, <laughs> you can go to patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm and they'll find a podcast about journalism and journalism that I produce and everything else there. Or at Philip O'Connor on Twitter. And there's all sorts of nonsense there. And as I say, I do try to reply to absolutely everybody who engages at all, as long as they're not dickheads. That's, that's good enough. And that's a rule we can all follow, I think. Okay. Uh, lads, once again, thank, thank you. you. Mero. Yes. Uh, I don't think we've decided, but are we deciding is this it now until the new year? <laughs> <laughs> That's a fucking fall apart right there, lad. Jesus Christ. Are we taking a little holiday, are we? <laughs> That's it, man. We'll, we'll see you next week. Yeah, you never know that something might happen, but until then, Mero, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Thanks, lads. Cheers, sweet. Thanks, Thank lads. Cheers, lads.